The meeting will come to order. This is the January 25th, 2023 Budget and Finance Committee meeting. I'm Supervisor Hillary Ronan, Chair of the Committee. I'm joined by Committee Member uh, and soon-to-be Chair Supervisor Chan, and we expect to be joined by Vice Chair Supervisor Asha Safai shortly. Our colleague, Supervisor Melgar, is also joining us today. Thanks for being the first one here. <laughs> Our clerk is Brent Halipa, and I would like to thank Matthew Wignow at SFGovTV for broadcasting this meeting. Mr. Clerk, do you have any announcements? Thank you, Madam Chair. Uh, just a friendly reminder for those in attendance uh, in the chamber to please make sure to silence hall cell phones and electronic devices. Uh, the Board of Supervisors and its committees are convening hybrid meetings that allow in-person attendance and public comment while still providing remote access and public comment via telephone. The Board recognizes that equitable public access is essential and will be taking public comment as follows. First public comment will be taken on each item on the agenda. Those attending in person will be allowed to speak first and then we will take those who are waiting on the telephone line. For those watching either channels 26, 28, 78, or 99 and sfgovtv.org, the public comment call-in number is streaming across the screen. That number is 415-655-0001. Uh, again, that's 415-655-0001. Then enter the meeting ID of 2485-152-6945. Then pound and pound again. And when connected, you will hear the meeting discussions, but you will be muted and in listening mode only. When your item of interest comes up in public comment is called, those joining us in person should line up to speak, and those on the telephone should dial star three to be added to the speaker line. Uh, if you're on your telephone, please remember to turn down your TV and all listening devices you may be using. Each speaker will be allowed up to two minutes to speak unless otherwise stated. Alternatively, you may submit public comment in writing in either of the following ways. Email them to myself, the Budget and Finance Committee Clerk, at brent.jalipa at sfgov.org. If you submit public comment via email, it will be forwarded to the supervisors and also included as part of the official file. You may also send your written comments via U.S. Postal Service to our office in City Hall. That's 1, Dr. Carlton B. Goodlett Place, Room 244, San Francisco, California, 94102. And finally, Madam Chair, items acted upon today are expected to appear on the Board of Supervisors agenda of January 31st, unless otherwise stated. Madam Chair. Thank you so much. Can you please call item number one? Yes, item number one is an ordinance deappropriating approximately 292000 from the District 7 General City Responsibility uh, and reappropriating 128000 to the Department of Children, Youth, and their families for creating a community space, sports hub, and teen workforce development program in District 7, 50000 to the Department of Emergency Management for neighborhood and community building activities in District 7, approximately 114000 to the Department of Public Works for a parklet installation in public space, in increased refuse bins installations, and cleaning supplies for District 7, and deappropriating 77500 from the San Francisco Municipal Transportation Agency, and reappropriating 77500 for improving traffic flow and pedestrian safety, and building a pedestrian <laughs> island for District 7 Vision Zero projects at SFMTA in fiscal year 2022 to 2023. Members of the public who are joining us remotely and wish to comment, please call 415-655-0001, enter the meeting ID of 2485-152-6945, then press pound twice. Once connected, you will need to press star three to enter the speaker line. A system prompt will indicate that you have raised your hand, and when the system indicates you have been admitted, that will be your signal to begin your comment. Madam Chair. 
Supervisor Melker, turning it over to you. Thank you so much, Madam Chair. Um, so this uh, item should have come before you uh, last year before the break. Uh, so I apologize uh, for being late on it. Uh, it was due to staffing changes in my office. It didn't get scheduled until now. But since we're here, I have to brag about it a little bit because it's uh, the funnest thing that I do in my job in District 7. This is participatory budgeting. So we approved this already in the budget. This is not a new request uh, last you know, year. So um, what we do is this pot of money is um, taken out uh, to the community. And I think we have a slide, um, Mr. Clerk, so that I can show my colleagues what this is all about. Uh, we put out criteria for the community. And in this uh, year's participatory budgeting, we had uh, community resilience, recovery, um, community building, and those are, are the things that um, we put out. Uh, it is open to all uh, community members in District 7, uh, in, as long as they are sponsored by a District 7 community organization. And we, uh, since um, Supervisor Yee used to do this, have changed it a little bit. Um, the uh, people who can apply are really any organization. So the PTAs and the schools, the churches, the block clubs, the improvement clubs, the senior centers, all of those folks can um, weigh in and uh, propose projects. We then uh, created a committee of uh, citizens who um, you know, looked at whether the proposals fit the criteria. And we made an effort to have young people and old people, people from all ethnicities and political spectrum. And remarkably, everybody was pretty well aligned uh, about the projects that they chose, even though it was very, very different people. And what uh, the 2022 winning projects are in front of you, and that's what you see in uh, the item that is in, on your agenda today. Um, it is taking the funds out of the um, uh, the uh, District 7 fund and putting them in the departments who will do the work. So uh, DCYF, uh, Department of Emergency Management, DPW will all be responsible for carrying out the projects um, that are before you. So um, I uh, wanted to tell you about it because it's really fun. Uh, if you, any of you uh, want to replicate it in your districts, uh, we have many years of experience doing uh, participatory budgeting, which um, is a really great way to involve the community um, in uh, how we spend funds from the city. So uh, I ask for your support and we'll answer any questions if you have any. Thank you so much. Seeing no questions, um, if we could open this item up for public comment. Yes, members of the public who wish to speak on this item and are joining us in person should line up now. For those listening remotely, please call 415-655-0001. The meeting ID for today is 2485-152-6945. Then press pound twice. Once connected, press star three to enter the speaker line. And for those waiting in the queue, please continue to wait until the system indicates you have been unmuted and that will be your signal to begin your comments. Seeing no in-person speakers in the chamber, and Madam Chair, we have no speakers in the queue. Public comment is now closed. Um, this Chair Rona, excuse me. I am so sorry. There is a BLA a report for this item. Very quickly, Nick, Nick Menard <laughs> from the Budget Legislative Analyst Office. <laughs> item one is an ordinance uh, that reappropriates $370,000 um, from funds set aside for the District 7 participatory budgeting process. We detail the projects on three pages three and four of our report, and we recommend approval. 
Thank you so much for that. And um, Supervisor Melgar, I want to uh, congratulate your office and your constituents um, for doing this inspiring work. It, 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 is, it is tempting to follow your lead on this, uh, but thanks for providing an example uh, for all of us. And with that, I'd like to make a motion to send this item to the full board with positive recommendation. On that motion to forward this ordinance to the full board with positive recommendation. Vice Chair Safai. Safai, aye. Member Chan. Chan, aye. Chair Ronan. Aye. Ronan, aye. We have three ayes. That motion passes unanimously. Thank you. Mr. Clerk, can you please read item number two? Yes, item number two is a resolution authorizing the Office of the Mayor and the Department of Technology to solicit in-kind donations through the Civic Bridge Program from various city contractors, notwithstanding the behested payments ordinance. Members of the public who are joining us remotely and wish to comment on this resolution, please call 415-655-0001, enter the meeting ID of 2485-1526945, and press pound twice. Once connected, press star three to enter the speaker line. His system prompt will indicate that you've raised your hand and when the system indicates you have been unmuted, that is your signal, begin your comments. Madam Chair. Thank you so much and I'll turn it over to um, Director Kettler. Um, I haven't been here in a long time and don't know how to turn these on. Anymore. Um, uh, Sophia Kittler, Director of the Mayor's Office of Innovation. I'm joined by Matt Larson, our Innovation Strategist, and Hank Heckel of the Mayor's Office. Um, and we are before you for the very exciting first ever waiver of the behested payments legislation, which hopefully will be very boring. Um, very quickly, we are here on behalf of the Civic Bridge Program. So I'll give you a, a quick rundown of what the Civic Bridge Program is, what the waiver will entail, um, and kind of next steps for this body, such as we want them. Um, really quickly, Civic Bridge is a 16-week um, cohort-based program that is designed to help um, local for-profit businesses, ones like Zendesk, Salesforce, Google, to donate their time and take, they take 20% um, of their weekly time and work on a project for the city and county of San Francisco government. Um, it, is, it pairs the department with a skilled volunteer team that is specifically scoped for that project. Um, to impact deliverable. And I have some examples later if you would like to hear them. Um, does this work? There we go. Um, over the last seven years, we have done 80 total projects across 34 departments, working with 28 pro bono partners, a total of 52,718 volunteer hours, 861 participants, and um, we have accepted and expended almost $7.85 million of um, fair market value and pro bono work. I say almost because we introduced our most recent A&E yesterday, so we will be before you for that soon. Um, this year, the mayor has asked that uh, projects that were proposed and, and applied to our office were really focused on economic revitalization. Um, we took kind of a broad sense of what that means, um, but looking at how we can speed up the process to get a special events permit with ISCOT, for example or um, what, how to build an equity-based economic recovery dashboard so that when we're looking at you know, how San Francisco is doing in its recovery, it's not just how many jobs do we have, because we know that that does kind of, has historically, rather, in the last 10 years, tilted towards a certain type of worker, but, but how is San Francisco coming back for all of its residents? Um, you can see a number of the other focus areas that we're going to be bringing forward. There are eight projects proposed this year. Um, they, the types of projects we take on are user research and design, strategy and service execution, data synthesis and modeling, communications and content, and technology. 
And again, the idea here is that the department doesn't have either the technical capacity or the, the, the resources to do this project, um, or it, it wouldn't be prioritized in the way you'd have to kind of be pulling from other people's jobs and it might take a really long time to do, so we find somebody who's willing to help and can do it in a 16-week time frame. Um, so we are before you to ask for a waiver. This is the first year we've had to do this, uh, behested payments. This does technically count as a solicitation under the behested payments um, legislation. Not all of our partners are um, interested parties, uh, but a number of them are. And in the interest of transparency, we put everybody we have worked with before, whether or not they have taken a meeting with the mayor, whether or not they have a contract with the Department of Technology, um, we, are we are matching to make sure that uh, if we choose a partner, they don't contract with the department that we match them up with. Um, because that, there is kind of a conflict of interest that we don't think is appropriate there. Um, but if Salesforce does not have a contract with somebody right now, we will move that forward. Um, we have had a few departments ask if, if that might change, and I think that is a policy discussion that we would maybe come back to you for, but right now that's, that's how we're approaching these, these pairings. Um, our process, just so you know, is we send an invitation to partner to all of our former partners or anyone who has expressed interest. Um, there are about 35 of those. Um, we follow up directly with partners and, um, with particular skill sets that we think would be really great for a particular match. Um, and that is whether they have expressed interest recently or not, or whether they filled out our form. Um, people who are kind of like raising their hand fill out a project interest form to indicate which projects they think they can get volunteers for. Um, our program analyst matches them with companies. They source volunteers from within their own companies and then kick off their 16-week engagement. Um, we do need to come back to this board for an accept and expend of those in-kind donations. Um, historically, we have done those retroactively um, because it is hard to get the project going when we have all these resolutions, but um, I would certainly love to work with the chair on, on what the appropriate timing for that um, accept and expend might be. Uh, and that is all I have for you now. If you would like us to dive into particular projects that have happened in the past, we're certainly welcome to do that. I would bring Matt up for that. Um, but that is all, and I am available for your questions. Thank you so much. Any questions, colleagues? Supervisor Chan. Um, do we have, I, I think we do have a list of the partner, but can you just highlight a few more? Absolute, of, of the people we're soliciting from? Yeah. Yeah, um, so this is in the legislative file, um, but I just, I don't know if you can see it on your screen. Um, the ones that you will have heard of more often than not are Accenture, Adobe, AT&T, Bloomberg Philanthropies, Blue Shield, um, California College of the Arts, um, Google, Slack, yeah, Slack, yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, now part of Salesforce, um, McKinsey, Microsoft, um, various universities, Splunk, New York, mm -hmm. Twitter, Stanford. Yeah. Twitter is probably not going to do it this year. Sad, um, but yeah, there's the list is there and it is in the file. Um, we don't have a sense of who would be kind of best matched for for these eight yet. And I have to say what alarmed me is also what you just stated that the fact that some of these accept and expand will, will actually be retroactive. And I think that 
you know, because of how it works. Well, I mean, by that logic, technically, that's exactly what happened with a lot of these accept and expand grants at, at times that maybe, you know, we can say, sure, it's a technical and we will, we will accept that. But there are going to be times where it felt a lost opportunities for this body to weigh in mm -hmm. to about, you know, just what, in what way that we, we think that this is the best direction for the city and and it, whether this is a best policy or not and and I think that I'm, I want to give you one example and I don't know how relevant it really is for example the tennis court reservation app that the Reckon Park proposed um, went through COID and came to the rules committee for um, really it's because it's um, part of the surveillance technology mm -hmm. um, policy that it end up in, in rules Otherwise, it may not have needed. I think if it went through this channel, it may not have come to rules, but it's really because one of the function is tracking a person's location mm -hmm. and then clearly defined as a surveillance technology. Then it came to the rules committee for a conversation at rules committee that it was rejected um, because, again, you know, uh, we people, when they sign up with the city government uh, through this app, for a city government service through this app to reserve a tennis court, um, they're also giving out their, giving, waiving their privacy rights. Mm -hmm. And that is not what the city government intends to have, allowing someone to give away their um, privacy rights to a third party in order to reserve a public space. Mm -hmm. And so I, I think those are very nuanced conversation that the city should have uh, about the policy that we set forward. And so in my opinion, to give a waiver on, a, it's not just about the behest of payments waiver, um, but it's also the conversation that you end up having about, you know, what kind of program, what kind of apps and what kind of technology mm -hmm. that the city should be utilizing and partnering with, who should we partnering with? And this whole list of corporate, you know, um, partners, it gives me, I, I just am not, I, I have to be honest, I'm uneasy about just waiving, um, it, essentially it's waiving uh, regulation to have conversation with these corporate um, companies that in San Francisco doing business, not just in San Francisco, but nationwide and worldwide, but yeah. maybe I'm wrong. No, I, no, I, no, I, I think the concern is very well-founded and, um, and I, I think it is very appropriate that A, that goes through COIT, B, those, those contracts do come to this body. Um, I want to push back a little bit because that, what you were talking about is a procurement process sure. where they would actually be using a technology that a third party has built. In this case, we're really kind of more talking about like a strategy project, right? Like there is not a collection of information. They might do some surveys, but the city owns all of that information. They own that technology. We would not be taking the, the example you gave of, of the tennis court reservation system. That would not apply here at all. Um, this would kind of more be if we wanted to ask, um, let's call it Slack, although I don't know why they would do this. Um, Slack, if they might be like, what kind of things do we want to ask for in a reservation system? And they might, you know, the city partner would hopefully say, surveillance isn't appropriate. We think we should have these three things. You know, you should be able to have cancellations and you should be able to have these things. And they would put together a strategy document that would then be used for the formal RFP process by which that technology would be selected. So that I absolutely agree that that technology procurement should not be retroactive. 
um, and that, that is what you're safeguarding against. I would love to make this not retroactive either, um, but this is not, we are not like buying people's technology here. Is that, does the distinction make sense or not really? No, and because again, right, like this whole list of partners that it's in within the ordinance, like AECOM or Blue Shield, they are also technically like contractors with the cities, mm -hmm. right? AECOM has contracts with the city um, through with SIPUC, and you know, dependent of not always, but mm -hmm. right, like they go for bids in this within the city. Um, and Blue Shield, in fact, is a, one of the city's like uh, service providers for our city workers' insurance, um, and, and so I. I am uncomfortable waiving a, having a behest payment waiver under this circumstance, but technically, I, I think maybe the deputy city attorney, or maybe you can answer these questions, but once we waive a behest, uh, you know, payment waiver, it, it's not limited to this circumstance. It's basically we're waiving. For the next six months. For the next six months. Yeah, for this so this would allow us to um, this would allow us to send the email saying who wants to participate and donate their time. Um, I am very happy to commit to you, um, uh, future Chair Chan, um, that we will not bring, the, the A&E that was retroactive that we introduced yesterday is from um, a very long time ago. Uh, that's some cleanup work. But for this group that we are going to go out and solicit from, I am more than happy to come to you with the A&E not retroactive before we move ahead so that you guys have that opportunity to understand what those conflicts might be before we accept their work. Okay, so um, thank you. So I clarifying that, um, so on page two of the ordinance and the resolve clause that uh, saying that for the purpose of allowing, basically we're narrowing it down to just for the departments of technology and then for the next six months. Yes, and the mayor's office. It's a little complicated because well, some of our employees so are. So that's my that's also my 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 questions. So you, you, um, I I hope share. Thank you so much, Chair Ronan, for let me having these questions. I think I want to express my concern is that like here is that is the office of the mayor and the Department of Technology for the next six months. I, I think I'm a lot more comfortable to say the Department of Technology operating as the office of in uh, mayor's office of innovation. I. I but maybe I'm just too uh, rigid with this um, at this moment, and uh, since it's very specific to Civic Bridge program. Um, thank you, I, thank you so much for answering the question. I, I appreciate it. It deserves the scrutiny, I appreciate it. That's why we're here. Sorry, I couldn't hear you say that again. Oh, I said it, it deserves the scrutiny, and I appreciate the questions. Um, sorry, one last question. How did these lists, how did this list come about? Like how did we put together, this is a list of folks that we actually want to solicit feedback and partnership. Mm -hmm. um, we, Matt, do you wanna to speak to that a little bit more? From my understanding, but Matt has been doing this longer than I have. Um, we started kind of building a community in 2015 um, when Jay Nath was, was the uh, chief innovation officer. We have had a newsletter, so people kind of express interest um, my understanding, although I would love to be corrected by the city attorney, is that if this list were to get to, say, 150 people, it would be a general solicitation. Um, we don't have that many partners right now. Um, we just ha we have a smaller number. We are, um, Matt, do you want to talk a little bit more about the who, who came on this list and how? And I'll pull it up for you. Yeah, so majority of the, this list is from previous partners, so we just wanted to be sure that anybody we had historically worked with um, was included on the list. 
Uh, how did they get, how did we find them the first time? I believe it was an open solicitation. Um, it goes back to Jay Nath in 20, or 2015, I guess. Uh, so I was not around for that time. Um, not sure what the like original step-by-step -step was, but I believe it was made open to um, kind of the, the general private sector. Um, and since then we've had um, so, uh, solicitations in our newsletter. We have an open solicitation on our website um, for folks that would like to volunteer. Uh, and so this also includes those folks that have, um, or those companies that have indicated interest uh, through our online portal. Um, and then as we meet with different, um, I guess, uh, different teams uh, that have expertise that fits these, uh, um, these outlined uh, project types, um, we just include them in our open invitation. Um, and traditionally, again, it goes to our newsletter, which goes out to, I think, uh, 1,500 people, but I'm not sure if that reaches 150 companies itself. Yeah. Another example would be the you know, Chamber of Commerce comes and has a day where they meet with supervisors and the director of homelessness. Um, and I met with them for five minutes and just told them about what our office does. And one of them reached out and said, your Civic Bridge program sounds really interesting. I looked it up online. We would love to be included in the future. Great. I, I mean, I understand. And, and I mean, I, I think here is in your clauses to talk about, like, through your newsletter. I think it, it is the specific clause that say and has historically recruited particular partners for specific projects based on uh, project goals and staff requirements. So that's more like the clause that actually, you know, caught my eye and mm -hmm. asking these particular questions about how do you really put it together. Mm -hmm. um, six months it is. Um, thank you uh, for answering all my questions and thank you so much, Chair Rona, for the indulgence. Sure, you know, I just want to add a couple things. Um, first of all, I hadn't, I didn't realize until quite recently, because I've just introduced one of my own, that by resolution, we can just waive the bastard payment. It was an amendment. I believe, legislation. Right? I, yeah. I, I just wanted to talk to the city attorney about this for a minute. Um, so, <clears throat> sorry, this isn't about this particular one, but That's in okay. general. So basically the board or, and the mayor can introduce, or any city department could introduce legislation to, for, for a six month period of time to waive the requirements of the behested payment ordinance for any department asking any individual for any type of service, is that, or any type of donation, is that true? Um, Deputy City Attorney Ann Pearson. So the behested payment ordinance generally prohibits asking for donations from interested parties. And there is this provision at the very end of it that authorizes exceptions where they're approved by the board by resolution. And those exceptions may be made for any department, but not for the board. So you may not create an exception for yourself, but you may create an exception for a department um, to make a behest of somebody who might otherwise be an interested party. Um, I don't think the ordinance itself has the six month duration or limit to it, um, but I do think the resolution has to explain why it is that this is not improper um, and why, the, you know, why it's in the public interest to allow the department to make this request. So, as someone who's conflicted about the behested payment legislation, I did vote for it not fully understanding its full impact and then regretted that vote later. Um, you know, and in a perfect world where we had, you know, a completely fair tax structure, we would never 
have to go asking or begging, you know, rich partners for their support, but we don't live in that world, sadly. Yeah. And oftentimes have those partnerships that lead to some of the most incredible work that we do in the city. Mm -hmm. um, so, and I, I, I do really appreciate the Civic Bridge program having, having learned about it. Um, and, you know, I agree we wouldn't get to these projects without it. Um, so I, I, I have to say that I'm excited about this ability uh, to make exceptions in this fashion. I think it's great that it comes to the board. I think it's great we have a public discussion about it. I think it's great we have to justify it and it makes me feel a lot more comfortable with the law in general. So I, I just wanna say uh, as, as the supervisor bringing the second one of these to the board. In a much more that, complicated one. <laughs> that I, I, um, I support this and um, I appreciate the thoughtfulness with, with which you've presented on it. And I do think you need to work with our future chair to make sure that these are not retroactive Absolutely. because that then defeats, you know, the purpose of, you know, having that extra scrutiny and that extra stamp of approval from the board mm -hmm. um, before, you know, partnering in that way. But, but uh, you have my support today and, and, and thank you. Supervisor Safai. I just want to highlight something. I mean, we, we, we're, you know, I'm chairing a downtown uh, reimagining revitalization group with the mayor and other members of the board. There's a whole host of individuals involved. We, we just had a presentation um, from New York City, uh, the deputy mayor there. And one of the biggest things that we walked away with was saying that places like San Francisco, places like New York, uh, really need to embrace and do better uh, with expanding urban innovation. And so for me, yes, I, I agree that um, we have to go and be cautious of conflicts of interest, um, but one of the things that our behest of payment legislation has done is it's stifled um, the, the desire for people to want to work with uh, with the city in some ways. And it's unfortunate because I think that there was some really good intent. I was initial supporter of the legislation, but I also immediately engaged with the sponsor and talked to you know, Supervisor Peskin about making the appropriate amendments because we did not want to discourage and you know, shun people from coming and partnering with the city. And so it's good that we have this public conversation. I appreciate Supervisor Chan's uh, questions to get them better on the record. Um, it's good to know that there's at least 28 you know, historical partners that want to work with uh, the city on creative ideas and improving you know, civic, civic government um, and at the same time giving others the opportunity to participate and be part of this program. And it's sometimes some of the best uh, ideas and policy come out of these partnerships. So really appreciate that. Thank you, uh, Ms. Kittler, Director Kittler, uh, for, your, for your work. And thank you for all the questions today and getting them out in the open. But I, I'm in full support and would like to be added as a, as a, as a co-sponsor of this. Thank you. Can we now open this item up for public comment?
<clears throat> yes, Madam Chair. Members of the public who wish to speak on this resolution are joining us in person should line up now to speak along the curtains. For those listening remotely, please call 415-655-0001. Enter the meeting ID of 2485-152-6945. Then press pound twice. Once connected, press star three to enter the speaker line. And for those already in the queue, please continue to wait until the system indicates you have been unmuted. And that'll be your signal to begin your comments. Seeing no in-person speakers here in the chamber. <clears throat> and, and Madam Chair, we have no speakers in the queue. Public comment is now closed. And I'm happy to make a motion to send this item to the full board with positive recommendation. On that motion to forward this resolution to the full board with a positive recommendation, Vice Chair Safai. Aye. Safai, aye. Member Chan. Chan, aye. Chair Ronan. Aye. Ronan, aye. We have three ayes. That motion passes unanimously. Thank you, Supervisor. Thank you, Ms. Kittler. Can you please uh, read item number three? Yes, item number three is a resolution retroactively authorizing the Department of Public Health to accept and expend a grant in the amount of approximately 178000 from the National Institutes of Health for participation in a program entitled Brief Longitudinal Incident Sentinel Surveillance to End the Human Immunodeficiency Virus Epidemic Among Persons Who Inject Drugs for the period of August 15, 2022 through July 31, 2023. Members of the public are joining us remotely and wish to comment, please call 415-655-0001, enter the meeting ID of 2485-152-6945, then press pound twice. Once connected, press star three to enter the speaker line. A prompt will indicate that you have raised your hand and when the system indicates you have been admitted as your signal to begin your comments. Madam Chair. Thank you, and I believe we have Will McFarland, or Willie McFarland on the phone. Hi, Supervisor Ryan. It's Erin Wilson. I'm actually the Deputy Director. I work with Willie here at the Center for Public Health Research, um, which is a branch underneath the Population Health Division and the San Francisco Department of Public Health. Our focus is really all on community-engaged, community-based research with communities most impacted by HIV in our city. So this BLIST study that we were wonderfully awarded to do in the city, um, we're requesting your approval to accept and expend funds to the city from the National Institutes of Mental Health where we were awarded this grant. Um, the focus is to conduct research with people who inject drugs in San Francisco and Alameda County. So hoping to expand our expertise working with the community to a broader Bay Area approach. As um, Greg read our very long title, BLISS is our Brief Longitudinal Incident Sentinel Surveillance Study. And the purpose of it is to examine um, and rapidly track the rise of HIV, Hep C and overdose among people who inject drugs in the city. We're using technology, so our goal is to use smartphones, online data collection, um, and in-person backup for folks for whom that doesn't work because they don't have access to technology. The goal is to enroll 600 people, 300 would be from San Francisco, 300 from Alameda County, and we hope to conduct frequent rapid assessments of events that might signal outbreaks or significant changes in HIV epidemics here locally. Um, we'll also be looking for uh, cases of hepatitis C, and starting or stopping HIV treatment, whether or not people are getting on PrEP, staying on PrEP, and whether we're observing um, overdose or overdose being reversed through the use of Narcan. And we're also hoping to do an in-depth investigation of fentanyl use in our city, as well as Alameda County. So this work is extremely important to us. We know that the opioid epidemic in San Francisco continues to take so many lives of our citizens and there are signs that we are not getting to zero new infections with people who uh, inject drugs. And um, Supervisor Ronan, it was great to see you at the Ward 86 40th anniversary celebration today. It was such a hopeful moment, but 
we're working with communities that are not um, getting as much access to all these amazing interventions that are being developed and pushed out in the city. So our goal is really to hone in on this community. We believe that the research data will help us find ways to identify early signals with uh, parallel epidemics, and our goal is really to avert deaths and new HIV infections as well as other infectious disease infections. So we hope you will agree to um, accept these funds on our behalf, and um, I'm happy to answer any questions about the study. Thank you so much, and I was just going to say this is such a perfect day to uh, accept this grant given the celebration we had this morning for Ward 86. Uh, incredible uh, inspirational work over the last 40 years. So thank you so much. And I, I, I don't see any questions. Um, I would just like to be added as a co-sponsor and really appreciate uh, your work and this work. And with that, we'll open this item up for public comment. Yes, Madam Chair, members of the public who wish to speak on this item and are joining us in person should line up now to speak. For those listening remotely, please call 415-655-0001 with the meeting ID of 2485-1526945, then press pound twice. You will need to press star three to enter the speaker line. Uh, please continue to wait until the system indicates you have been unmuted, and that will be your cue to begin your comments. Seeing no in-person speakers here in the chamber, and Madam Chair, we have no speakers in the queue. Public comment is now closed. I'd like to make a motion to send this item to the full board with positive recommendation. On that motion, I forward this resolution to the full board with a positive recommendation. Vice Chair Safai. Safai, aye. Member Chan. Chan, aye. Chair Ronan. Aye. Ronan, aye. We have three ayes. That motion passes unanimously. Thanks so much, Ms. Wilson. Mr. Clerk, can you please read item number four? Yes, item number four is a resolution retroactively authorizing the Department of Public Health to accept and expend a grant in the amount of approximately 324000 from the Office of Refugee Health through the California Department of Public Health for participation in the program entitled Refugee Health Assessment Program, Federal Fiscal Year 2022-23, award number 22-38-908. 99-00 for the period of October 1st, 2022 through September 30th, 2023. Members of the public who are joining us remotely and wish to comment, please call 415-655-0001 with a meeting ID of 2485-1526945 and press pound twice. Once connected, press star three to enter the speaker line. A prompt will indicate that you have raised your hand when the system indicates you have been admitted that will be your signal to begin your comments. Madam Chair. Thank you, and I believe Christy Dietrich is here from DPH or on the line? Yes, hi, thank you. Um, my name is Christy Dietrich. I'm the program manager for Newcomers Health Program. We're the refugee health program under um, the Community Health Equity and Promotion Branch. And I'm here to request your approval for the California Department of Public Health's Refugee Health Assessment and Promotion Program to continue our work of Newcomers Health Program. So refugees and asylees who will benefit from this flee their home countries due to persecution based on race, religion, gender, political opinion, or membership in a particular group, and they seek legal protection in the United States. So they're individuals that we meet, uh, families who have experienced arduous journeys, physical and emotional trauma, family separation, and often neglected health care. So Newcomers Health Program, we partner with the Family Health Center at um, Zuckerberg General Hospital, and together we support access and linkages to health assessment services for immigrants of humanitarian concern 
which includes refugees and asylees, as well as victims of human trafficking and certain immigrants from Afghanistan and Ukraine. Um, this recurring funding from the California Department of Public Health has been granted to Newcomers Health Program to support these accesses um, and linkages to healthcare for refugee populations since 1980. Uh, this additional funding for this request is due to a significant increase in new arrivals, um, primarily from Ukraine most recently, and this is also due to some changes at the federal immigration policy. Um, that we're looking um, for new updates coming soon as well. So this funding of $324,000 will provide key staffing for our work that includes a, a coordinator and a team of bicultural and bilingual health workers and interpreters to ensure that, who, uh, that all refugee uh, populations are enrolled in health insurance. They receive comprehensive health assessments, updated immunizations, and that they are linked to ongoing primary care for healthy adjustment to life in San Francisco and in the United States. So we request this approval to retroactively accept and expend these funds, and I can answer any questions people have. Thank Thanks you. so much. It doesn't appear there's any questions, but once again, an, uh, another program of DPH to be very proud of, um, and if I could be added as a co-sponsor to this item as well. If we can open this item up for public comment. Yes, members of the public who wish to speak on this item or joining us in person, please line up now. For those listening remotely, please call 415-655-0001, enter the meeting ID of 2485-152-6945, then press pound twice. You'll need to press star three to enter the speaker line. And for those already in the queue, please continue to wait until the system indicates you haven't unmuted and there'll be your signal to begin your comments. Seeing no in-person speakers in the chamber. Hey, Madam Chair, we have no speakers in the queue. Public comment is now closed. I'd like to make a motion to send this item to the full board with positive recommendation. On that motion, to forward this resolution to the full board with a positive recommendation. Vice Chair Safai. Safai, aye. Member Chan. Chan, aye. Chair Ronan. Aye. Ronan, aye. We have three ayes. Thank you. That motion passes unanimously. Thanks, Ms. Dietrich. And Mr. Thank you. Thank you. Mr. Clerk, can you please read item number five? Yes, item number five is a resolution approving amendment number two to the agreement between Special Service for Groups Incorporated and the Department of Public Health for Therapeutic and Specialty Mental Health Services to increase the agreement by approximately 21 million for an amount not to exceed approximately 31 million to extend the term by four years and six months from June 30th, 2023 for a total agreement term of July 1st, 2018 through December 31st, 2027 and to authorize the Department of Public Health to enter into amendments or modifications to the contract prior to its final execution by all parties that do not materially increase the obligations or liabilities to the city and are necessary to effectuate the purposes of the contract or this resolution. Members of the public who are joining us remotely and wish to comment, please call 415-655-0001, enter the meeting ID of 2485-152-6945, then press pound twice. Once connected, press star three to enter the speaker line. A prompt will indicate that you have raised your hand and when the system indicates you have been unmuted, that is your signal to begin your comments. Madam Chair. Thank you so much. It's so good to see you, Director Fairmont. Hi. Thank you for having me today. Uh, thank you, Chair Ronan, Vice Chair Safai, and Supervisor Chan for having us. My name is Dr. Farnaz Farman. I'm, I'm the Director of the Children and Youth Family System of Care at Behavioral Health Services at the San Francisco Department of Public Health. I'm here to speak to special uh, services for groups. 
and Anna's helping me online advance the slides. So under the proposed amended contract, special services for groups will continue to provide the following services. Their occupational therapy training program, uh, the outpatient program, and their programming specific for the Family Mosaic Project. For the outpatient program, they provide specialty mental health outpatient treatment uh, services to children, adolescents, and their families. And they also provide the educationally related mental health services, also known as ERMS, for youth referred from the school district as part of a child's individualized education plan. They also provide um, services specific to the Family Mosaic Project, psychosocial occupational therapy services, such as life skills, social skills, vocational skills for adolescents enrolled in Family Mosaic Project, also known as FMP. FMP is a civil service clinic directly under DPH. It's a full service partnership program offering wraparound services for the most high acuity youth in our county. OTTP is a supportive service to this intensive treatment uh, received at FMP. Next slide, please. In terms of where this fits within our larger continuum of care, you can see in the triangle we have a continuum of care that goes anywhere from health promotion, prevention, early intervention, all the way up to the highest acuity of residential. Occupational therapy training program, um, outpatient program falls within the mental health outpatient tier, that second from the bottom, and they also provide intensive services in the tier up. Um, they're contracted to provide uh, services for 200 clients a year between the ages of 5 and 21 years old, or up to 22 if a client is ERMS through the school district. Um, outpatient clients are Medi-Cal recipients, um, or specific to Medi-Cal recipients, and for the ERMS services with the school district, we do serve Medi-Cal um, and privately insured uh, youth. For the uh, services specifically provided for the Family Mosaic Project. FMP clients are part of the intensive level of care as a wraparound ICM program. Um, special services for group, OTTP, provides specialized occupational therapy services for these clients age 12 to 21, and they're contracted to provide um, services for 20 clients a year. Um, with that said, for both programs, they've, they've served larger, um, more amount of youth. Next slide, please. And so DPH agrees with the BLA recommendations and requests approval of the proposed resolution as amended. Thank you, and before we have questions, we'll hear from the BLA. Thank you. Item five is a resolution approving uh, a second amendment to DPH's contract with special services for groups. Uh, the amendment extends the agreement um, through December 2027 and increases the not to exceed amount to $31.7 million. Um, as we detail in our report, this uh, contract primarily provides outpatient occupational therapy for low-income children um, who have severe mental health diagnoses um, and need assistance uh, functioning in school environments and other kinds of environments. We show the budget for this program on page 13 of our report. The program is approximately $4 million a year. We also reviewed performance data um, that showed that the contractor is currently delivering the contracted units of service um, and did not, and the financial condition of the, of the organization appears to be sound. Um, we did note a technical error in the resolution to not to exceed amount and have a, rec a recommendation to adjust it down slightly by about $200,000, which the department agrees with and otherwise recommend approval. 
Thank you. And Supervisor Safai. Thank you. Uh, thank you uh, for your presentation today, Dr. Uh, just a couple questions. So I'm looking back at the history. So this RFP was issued in 2017. Is that right? And so this SSG was one of 25 providers that were selected to provide this. Is that correct? For their outpatient programming, yes. For the outpatient programming. But then this time around, they were the only one that submitted a response. Can you um, explain? Because this is all new to me. So I'm just trying to understand this a little bit better. Sure. So the, they were one of 25 that were selected for their outpatient services. Mm -hmm. and, as, and Michelle can make sure I'm speaking correctly here. But as part of the, they were the only one that was selected for the specific um, specialized services, the treatment support and training for, for the FMP specific services. And then it said that they, they, they provided specifically in category one, so for both mental health, outpatient um, of the SPOR program, but it said specific to the SOAR program, SSG was one of seven qualified applicants, but not selected as one of the three vendors to enter into the SOAR program. Yes, so the contract uh, for today is for the outpatient services and for the FMP services. Um, the, the SOAR RFP is a separate RFP and they were originally not a SOAR provider, so the, um, but part of the reason why this contract came to the board for an extension is also because, um, as you guys received a letter, the Oaks, oh, I'm sorry, there was an Oaks closure, and part of the Oaks Children's Family Therapy closure was a transfer of the outpatient and the SOAR programming that was at Oaks to OTTP. So OTTP. I don't know what OTTP is. I'm sorry, Special Services for Group Occupational Therapy Training Program, the contract that we're presenting on today. Mm. So the Special Services for Groups previously provided the outpatient programming as well as the specialized services for the Family Mosaic Program. OTTP. There is a, uh, they previously did apply for the SOAR RFP, were not originally selected but have solicitation authority to provide SOAR services. And that's why um, that was mentioned in the report because the SOAR programming moved to OTTP. Why do they call it occupational therapy if we're talking about children? So special services for groups is the larger legal entity. They have multiple programs and one of their programs is the occupational therapy treatment program. There's, they have specialized occupational therapists that provide psychosocial rehabilitation services for clients. So there's a lot of vocational support, communication, emotion regulation skills, life skilling skills that occupational therapists are specialized to be able to provide as part of a therapeutic treatment program so guess, they are guess, an out. I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh, sorry. No, no, go ahead. I guess what I'm asking is when I think of occupational therapy, I think of someone in a work environment. I don't necessarily think of children. But yeah, I, know, I, I understand it's kind of a broad, I guess it's, an, I guess it's a broader category. See, I, I guess, just want to take a step back for a second. So, you know, we, we asked for an audit of all the mental health services and DPH it was actually the first thing I did when I was elected back in 2018. 17 when we first started we got a whole host of information part of that information grew into some of the work that my colleagues have done with mental health ss but one of the things that 
I would like to see is, and, and I appreciate a little bit more of that here today, is that when we have been generally presented information, it's more from just a fiscal kind of monetary perspective. And Ms. Ruggles comes and she talks about this is what the budget is, this is what was done in the past, we're making one contract amendment, that contract amendment is now exceeded the threshold, that's why we have to come to you. But we don't really get the larger context of the overall mental health service delivery within your department. And so we get contracts, I mean, we went to a groundbreaking and it's all over the news for the Golden Gate Bridge, $400 million, you would have thought that you know, it, it was a dramatic win. I mean, but we're approving two and three and four and $500 million contracts from DPH on a regular basis. And yet there's still very little, thank, thank you to the BLA for the extensive work and questions that you provide and information we get. But we're not really getting a full picture of the mental health delivery. I mean, I know Sureza Ronan works on a, you know, works with the, Mental Health SF implementation group, and there's a working group, an ongoing group. But I just, myself personally, I, I, I'm not getting the full picture, so I, I understand. Um, and by the way, I've never heard of SSG, and I've worked in the city for 22 years. Not to say that I should know who they are, but being on this committee for two years, I should know who they are. And being invested in understanding how our mental health delivery services, and then when I see they're the only ones that responded, under this particular family mosaic category, and yet in the past there were 20, 25 providers that responded. I can clarify that. Yeah, like there, that, that there, makes me want to know more and why we're only getting one responder when in the past we got 25. I get so it, there's it's a couple, probably because it's a contract amendment and you're extending some, but there, go ahead, there's a couple. There's a couple things to tease apart here. So first, I would be happy to present on the Children Youth Family System of Care and our continuum of care and the integration of all of our services and answer any questions you have right now to help paint that better picture for you of how it's all a coordinated system. Um, so happy to come back around to any questions on that or, or talk with you further about our system of care. There's the RFP for the 25 is for the continuum of outpatient providers. Um, the category around the specialized training for FMP, FMP is a civil service clinic that provides wraparound services for kids. And so they provide outpatient therapy and intensive case management services where, as part of the wrap. Um, they were located in the Bayview, oh, okay. near the Bayview Plaza, but mm. they provide services in the home, in the community, in the school, in the field, to the highest acuity youth. And so, they do, and it says here they do 20 clients per year? No, FMP does a much larger um, oh. amount of clients. Uh, they had a separate a solicitation to specifically get supports for certain services to help with that wraparound care of the clients they serve. So occupation, the special services for group occupational OTTP was one of those specialized services for the OT, mm -hmm. um, rehabilitative services, and another one was a mentoring program. And so that's what helps support the, the add-on supportive services for these youth. Someone needs to mute their microphone, please. Sorry. Does that help clarify its distinct I mean, I mean services? A, I mean so a little bit. It just feels layers upon layers upon layers upon. And, and, and it's, it's important. I think this is an important exercise. But I'm looking at your report. It says 20 clients. And then 
And then the OTTP, so is that 200 clients per year? Or is that just one piece of what they do and they serve a larger number and this is what they've been contracted for? I, I just, again, the reason I ask is because in its worst case, we see, I would imagine, some of the, some of the people that fall through this system ultimately, in the worst case, might end up in emergency care in general, maybe out on the street, not getting the services. These are the, these are the clients that ultimately then grow into maybe some of the long-term clients. And, and I only say that from experience working um, in doing uh, work with middle school intervention and the work that we did there to try and stop and redirect and help children get, and I would imagine it's the same type of thing. So m one of the questions that I would like to see is how many of these clients are tracked beyond their initial contact to ensure that they are then having the long-term care. I think that was one of the questions we asked the BLA to look at, uh, long-term care and existing care. I think that's probably some of the things that Mental Health SF is trying to get at. And, and I'm not really, like these are, this is great. This is the number of children that are served, the number of clients, you, got, you refer to them as clients because I guess they're older than just children. But what is the long-term, how are you measuring the success? And how many of these then ultimately end up in more of an adult delivery system? That, 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 those are the things that are, I think are important for the public to know. I mean, this is a lot of money that's being spent. Um, and, and how are you measuring success? How do you measure success? Sure, so I'm, I'm happy that there's a lot in there and I can tease apart the different pieces. In terms of how we measure success, so just bear in mind we have a, a vast continuum of care and Family Mosaic Project and what we're presenting on today, Special Services for Groups, OTTP, are two pieces that speak to services for some of the highest acuity youth. And so for all of the kids in our specialty mental health system, we have assessment tools that are required from the state that are delivered every six months, the CANS and the Pediatric Symptom Checklist 35. And so that da data, those assessment tools are delivered to youth every, um, every six months for us to be able to look at the clinical needs, strengths, risk, areas of improvement, and track that data. And we have reports on individual client level data, um, clinic aggregate data, and system-wide data that we do reflections and utilize. Um, the special services for groups work with the, the 20 clients, which they've actually served more than that for the occupation, for the FMP clients, that is specifically a supportive service for occupational therapy, rehabilitation, skill building services for the kids enrolled in Family Mosaic Project. So those services, Family Mosaic Project, is um, measured against all of the tools and all of the performance objectives for the standard outpatient and full service partnership performance objectives. In addition, they work with the OTTP to measure the goals in terms of youth engaging in school, youth being able to link to pro-social activities in the community, um, enroll in vocational programming, and there is a lot of success. A lot of the success that happens is that they're able to stabilize youth enrolled in the Family Mosaic Project within six months, and then oftentimes they're stepping down from the Family Mosaic Project intensive case management services to um, special services for group OTTPs, outpatient services. So they're going from a higher level of care to a lower level of care, also indicating success. And do you, and, and do you have demographic data on the, because I didn't see that 
provided I didn't here. bring it with me today, but I have dashboards that I can pull up to provide that, and I'm happy to present it for you. Across our entire system of care, we predominantly serve um, Latino. That Medi-Cal, right? I mean, that was, one of the, that was one of the predictors or one of the requirements. Yes, so for special services for groups outpatient program, um, Medi-Cal is required. For the ERMS programming, we, the school district contracts with us to provide all ERMS services, the educationally related men mental health services that the school district requires as part of their legal process, the IEP. We are a contractor of the school district, basically. They Is it only school district, so they have to be SFUSD? No, for the out, so I'm speaking to two things. For their oh. general outpatient services, they can take any outpatient, any Medi-Cal client. So a client can self-refer, the school can refer mm. them, primary care can refer them, um, community-based organizations can refer them. And as long as they're Medi-Cal or uninsured safety net population, we provide that specialty mental health services. In addition to their outpatient programming, they're also a ERMS provider. So this What's ERMS? ERMS is the Educationally Related Mental Health Services, which the school district is required the school districts required to provide if it's part right. of a kid's IEP individuals oh. education plan we provide those services for the school district um, regardless of the kids insurance we bill Medi-Cal for the kids that are Medi-Cal and the school district reimburses us for the kids that are not Medi-Cal and privately insured I would I would just like to uh, thank you very much that's very helpful to understand that a little bit better I would like and I know director Ruggles is coming in uh, with kind of the financial perspective. I just wanted to say, and, and we will reach out to uh, Dr. Colfax as well, but when, personally, since I, I'm gonna be remaining on this committee, personally I would like to see the Department of Public Health come in with some of this. Like, we want, I wanna see more data. I wanna see for the money, what's the demographics of the clients served? What are some of the ways in which you're measuring success? I, I ask a lot of the same questions every every time and I think that with the size of the contracts and how they're integrated and they work together it would be really helpful to better understand that so that we can have a better picture painted for us um, when you get into the demographics then you're gonna understand more where what neighborhoods the the clients are coming from is there overlap does it you said there's a continuum of care how does that lead into sure. some of the longer service that they're getting? And I'm, I'm happy to answer that. In terms of the demographics, it's predominantly Latino, Latino, Latinx, Latine, African American and Black, and then AAPI is the predominant, um, the, the top three, the top three demographics of the um, racial demographics that we serve in those programs. Right, and I'm and then, happy to answer any other questions you have. No, no, no. That, I'm, I'm just saying I'm get, kind of giving the general for the department. I think it would be really helpful to better understand that and, um, and, as we go forward. Go and, ahead. And go I ahead, would just sir. say um, that Dr. Farmond and my office and the school district and OEWD and other partners um, have just begun working together because the explosion of need for right. mental health services After in SFUSD mm -hmm. um, is, is just not being addressed. These contracts, again, are for specialty mental health services for um, you know, serious mental illness, which I think it is not always the case with, with what we're talking about with the needs of, of a broader population of kids in the school district. And we um, are working with the budget, budget and legislative analyst right now of sort of categorizing 
just what you're asking. Like, what does that continuum of care look like? What are the skills needed? Because there's a workforce crisis. What are the skills needed by the mental health providers right. to meet the needs of different levels of care? And then how can we as In a city be working to help develop that workforce? Because um, for the first time, you know, ever, for example, my daughter's school um, doesn't have a social worker. Right. Um, and that, and that was the same thing that happened to our school. With massive, massive needs. So, you know, all of these questions, you know, for the for the bigger picture, um, in with and it's it it remains a an need. ongoing conversation. Yeah. Right. And and the other thing I would say is if 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 there is this if if the demographic of the students or clients, patients, um, however they're referred to then there also is a need for culturally competent providers that understand that population and work with that population. I mean, another thing that I would like to see is because, again, we saw it at, at, at my children's school when the intervention, mental health intervention was removed, what is, the, what is then the number of children that end up, that are being tracked and getting this intensive care, how many of them ultimately end up being expelled or transferred to different schools. I mean, all those things, all that information, and then becomes important. Thank you. I, I, thank you, I'm sorry. I just had a, a bunch of these questions because it, it's more specific to this contract, but it's larger to the Department of Public Health so that we have a better level of presentation going yeah. forward in the coming year. And, and we're prepared and I know to answer if you were all that. We could have added. If you were well, prepared, you would have known to bring that. I get it. We did prepare all those responses. We could have just added a few more slides, and we'll do that next time. Okay. Thank you, Dr. Thank Fatima. You so much. Thank you. We can now open this item up for public comment. Yes, members of the public who wish to speak on this item and are joining us in person should line up now. Uh, for those listening remotely, please call 415 655 0001. Enter the meeting ID of 2485-152-6945, and then press pound twice. Once connected, you'll need to press star three to enter the speaker line. For those already in the queue, please continue to wait until the system indicates you have been unmuted, and that'll be your signal to begin your comments. Seeing no in-person speakers here in the chamber, and Madam Chair, we have no speakers in the queue. Public comment is now closed. I'd like to make a motion to amend item five as um, stated by the budget legislative analyst or accepting the recommendations and then sending the amended item to the full board with positive recommendation. On the motion to amend the proposed resolution to reduce the requested total uh, by the amount uh, stated by the uh, BLA, hand to forward the resolution to the full board with a positive recommendation as amended. Vice Chair Safai. Aye. Safai, aye. Member Chan? Aye. Chan, aye. Chair Ronan? Aye. Ronan, aye. We have three ayes. That motion passes unanimously. Thank you so much. Mr. Clerk, can you please read item number six? Yes, item number six is a resolution approving amendment number two to the agreement between Prog uh, Progress Foundation and the Department of Public Health for Behavioral Health Services 
to increase the agreement by approximately $127 million for an amount <coughs> not to exceed approximately $221 million to extend the term by five years from December 31st, 2022 for a total agreement term of July 1st, 2018 through December 31st, 2027 and to authorize DPH to enter into amendments or modifications to the contract prior to its final execution by all parties <coughs> that do not materially increase the obligations or liabilities to the city and are necessary to effectuate the purposes of this con of the contract or this resolution. Members of the public who are joining us remotely and wish to comment, please call 415-655-0001, enter the meeting ID of 2485-152-6945, then press pound twice. Once connected, press star three to enter the speaker line. A prompt will indicate that you have raised your hand and when the system indicates that you have uh, been unmuted, that'll be your signal to begin your comments. Madam Chair. Thank you, and we have Max Rocha from DPH here. Present. Yep, good afternoon, everyone, Supervisor. <coughs> Sorry about that. Uh, thank you, Chair Ronins, uh, Vice Chair Safai, and Supervisor Chen. I'm here today to seek your review and approval of the amendment. I'll give you a brief overview of the Progress Foundation services. Next slide, please. Oh, joining me today is also Mr. C. Fields, uh, Executive Director from Progress Foundation through uh, online, and also Director of Residential System of Care, Young Jun Kim. So under this proposed amendment, uh, we are <coughs> want to give you a brief overview of six different types of services funded through this contract, <clears throat> the first through, uh, through crisis stabilization. Under crisis stabilization, Progress Foundations offers acute diversion uh, unit service uh, programming in which uh, clients experiencing psychiatric care can be diverted to this acute diversion unit, as well as urgent uh, care at the door urgent care clinic. There are four sites available through the acute diversion unit. Uh, to answer, um, Vice Chair Safai's question earlier, how do we know patients are getting better in the ADU? So each of, the different uh, each of these programs in ADU do conduct something called ANSAM, the Adult Needs and Strings Assessment Scale. Upon discharge, patients are supposed to have, are expected to have uh, the actionable items within the assessment um, be improved at discharge. Also in ADU, we also, uh, for patients staying there 12 days or more, we expect them to um, not cycle back within to PES or urgent care uh, within the first two days of completion of treatment. Did you, did you say three days? Within two days. Within two, yeah. So two days is considered to, success? To stabilize through ADU. Yeah. And then there's step down. Yeah. Wait, can you repeat that again? I just, want to, I just want to hear that again. Sure. So for patients who are, have um, gone through ADU, so um, for patients who have stayed there 12 days or more, um, they will not be returning, cycling back to psychiatric emergency services within the next day or the, ne within the same day or the next day. Wait, I thought the ADU is 24-hour care. Uh, for some patients, they might require longer stay. Can I ask, sorry to interrupt you, but um, Mr. Fields, do La Posada, Avenue, Schrader, and Door provide longer than 24-hour care? We can't hear you, Mr. Fields. Madam Chair, All right. there he goes. It's enabled now. Um, yes, Supervisor, I'm sorry, could you repeat the question? Yeah, my understanding is that the ADUs at, and at La Posada Avenue, Schrader and Door were only 24-hour <clears throat> cares. Are, a, a care, is there times where they can stay there up till 12 days? 
Oh, yeah, certainly. They're, no, they're under Medi-Cal uh, certification definitions. Those programs are um, crisis residential treatment and the length of stay can be anywhere for that purpose of days up to two months. So, oh, so what the, I'm thinking program, about is number two. I'm thinking about door urgent care. That's yes, 24 hours. Right. I see. But yes, for that's the, 20. But so there's a difference between urgent care and acute diversion. Got it. And so yeah. acute diversion is generally. Um, oh, I see your community based 24 hour care. I right. see where I'm confusing things. Got it. Got right. it. Okay. okay. Now I'm clear. And I appreciate you seeking the clarification, right? So one is 24 hours, the other urgent care is 23 hours or less. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. Got it. I got, I was confused. Thank you. And I'm sorry for not establishing that clarity in the beginning. Yeah. No, not your fault. I, I got confused, but because they're both called door, I got very confused. Yeah. So one is- and I, it, um, Supervisor, I think that, that when, when you visited, I could see that it's the, the model of that particular uh, program is that the urgent care clinic is co-located with a 24-hour diversion, and they're both called door. Yeah, correct. Right, right, right. The downstairs and the upstairs. Got it. Okay to proceed? Yes. Yeah. Next slide, please. And the next set of services fall under the residential treatment facilities, under which is the transitional residential treatment program, where we provide primarily mental health services some of you do co-present with substance use needs in residential treatment facilities. Uh, programs have varying length of stay and some have uh, population specific emphasis. Um, so for example, we have La, La Amistad, Cortland and Progress House, those are 90 day programs, whereas Clay, Loso and Ashbury are 12 month and more. Uh, Ashbury House, going backwards, Ashbury House provides uh, services specifically for women with children. Um, La Amistad is Spanish-speaking, and as well as um, Progress House is, uh, provides services for transitional age youth. Um, really appreciate Progress Foundation services. They all, their range of services also include senior programming. So there are two locations that offer services for adults 55 and over. So again, for patients who are getting, uh, to demonstrate outcomes, right? So folks who completed TRTP will have improved CANS uh, ratings, I'm sorry, ANSA ratings, adult needs and strength assessment. Um, next slide, please. <clears throat> Followed by that is the last two range of group of services called supported and independent living programs, uh, whereby clients residing in these supported living environment receive outpatient level of care services, including mental health, case management, crisis interventions. The first set of services are sprinkled across the city with about 37 beds. And then there are also uh, transitional HU supported independent, supported and independent living programs across two different sites. Next slides, please. <clears throat> um, so this table just outlines by each category how many total beds are available. So for example, in acute diversion unit, there are a total of 46 beds. In transitional residential, there are 73 beds, uh, plus 12 beds that are specific for our seniors. Uh, together with supported independent living programs, there are 47 beds available. Of the 47, 10 are specific for transitional age youth. And their urgent care can house up to 12 beds at any given time, totaling 192. Next slide, please. So 
how this Progress Foundation number of beds capability, the volume and also range of services fit within our entire system of care. So we manage about 2,200 beds and Progress Foundation covers the very important baseline number of beds in areas of uh, crisis stabilization, in the area of open residential treatment, and also transitional supportive living. Last slide, please. And open to any questions and comments you have. Of course, we do ask for your, we agree with BLA recommendations and request approval of proposed re uh, resolution as amended. Thank you, and we'll hear from the BLA. Thank you. Item six is a resolution approving the Second Amendment to DPH's contract with the Progress Foundation. Um, the contract provides a variety of acute um, and residential mental health treatment beds. Uh, we summarize the various programs starting on pages on pages 15 and 16 of our report. Um, you know, we looked at the performance of the contractor and the financial condition. We did not find any issues. And we showed the budget for this contract on page 17 and 18 of our report. You can see that this fiscal year, the, the budget is about $21.7 million, with a, approximately a third of that coming from the general fund. Um, <coughs> the department um, introduced this item prior to December of 2022. This uh, contract amendment is effective in January. I think they weren't able to schedule prior to this meeting. Um, so it is a technically a retroactive approval that the board would be approving. Um, and it's for that reason we have a clarifying amendment to the resolution to state that the approval is retroactive and we do recommend approval of this amendment. Thank you so much. And um, since I have Steve on the line and we are perpetually uh, trying to understand the need versus the number of beds that we have. I wanted to take advantage of the opportunity mm -hmm. to ask um, Mr. Fields. Uh, also, I, I, you know, I've been working in this area for quite some time and am just so impressed with Progress Foundation and their work. And I think it's one of the most successful models we have in the city. Um, and you can see you know, unlike many, you know, and I think Supervisor Safai was getting to this point, many contracts where you don't see how it all fits within a system of care, within Progress Foundation itself, you have the 24-hour treatment that then links to the two-bed, two-week cultural, I mean, crisis stabilization, which then links to the you know, two-year long-term support yep. and then the housing out. It's just, it's, that, it's a it full be. system of care, which is the only one that I really understand in mm -hmm. the city, I have to say. <laughs> and so I'm just, since we have the executive director on the line, I'm just curious, what percentage of the need for these different levels of service do you think that Progress Foundation is meeting and and how much more of each of these levels of care do you think we need in the city? And, and, and I understand that these will be serious estimates, but I think you have enough experience to give us a sense of, 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 of the need. That's for you, uh, Steve. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I, I'll, I'll, I'll give it a shot. It, it's a you know, obviously, with the severity that we're experiencing, uh, 
now that sort of highlights the number of people who've just been marginally surviving in communities with severe mental illness and and concomitant substance use treatment needs um, with COVID and the crisis on the streets with homelessness and the inability to afford any kind of uh, place to live. Um, it, it's, it's actually becoming more evident to me, at least, that uh, our system, which really has not expanded in treatment beds for various reasons in the last 10 years um, to meet the growing uh, pressure on emergency rooms and hospitals to only use those resources when when someone is really needs that level of acute intervention. So, you know, we've we've done some modeling out in past times where where the the system of care and the residential treatment system of care with the partnership that was there with uh, PRC Baker primarily. Um, you know, I, I think the biggest need um, uh, uh, is in two areas. One is, and this is something that, you know, I've advocated for, and, and again, credit to uh, the Board of Supervisors and with your leadership, uh, Supervisor Ronan and Supervisor Haney at the time, the Mental Health SF legislation is just, as <laughs> I've been involved in the IWG since it started, and it's it's starting to, I think, get some real steam on looking at getting numbers behind your concern. You know, what is the what is the ecological balance in our system of care that we need to avoid unnecessary repeated emergency room visits, unnecessary hospitalizations when there could be programs in the community could could respond just as quickly to many of those clients. So. You know, I think we made some attempt when we were looking at the MHSF legislation to to uh, to uh, uh, map that out. If we're and and to me, um, there's still room for uh, at least two more, maybe three more acute diversion type programs. Uh, I think some of that is highlighted by neighborhoods. I think that the the need for services in the Bayview is acute. And more important, that there are programs in those communities uh, that could do diversion from hospitalization, uh, particularly. And I think that's an important need. And then I think when you, if you're thinking of a continuum of care as a model of treatment, which is what Progress Foundation has embraced from the beginning, because the the, the battle is to divert from unnecessary high-end acute services like hospitalization and emergency services. If you're going to do that, like our acute diversion programs have done and Dorage and Care does in terms of diverting from the emergency room at uh, Zuckerberg General Hospital, you need to have a place for people to go when the crisis has been stabilized. And that's the role of that midsection of programs that we provide, transitional residential treatment programs. So point at which a crisis is stabilized, the client is looking at the necessity to go onward in treatment that offers concomitant substance use and mental health treatment. And we don't have enough beds in that 90 day to one year range. We don't have enough beds for people to go get 24 hour structured recovery based treatment and, and so that their next step into community living, if it's in supported housing or somewhere else, and uh, Supervisor Ronan, you led the way on trying to expand the co-op, which is our, our supported living model described by um, uh, the, the presentation. It, 
you you need the time to recover. You do not go from an emergency room visit to a hotel if you have concomitant substance use and severe mental health treatment needs and expect to be stabilized. And you're going to be right back in the emergency room in a matter of weeks, if not months. So the idea of the continuum that's, that, that I think we need the most concentration on is those 90-day treatment beds, 90 days to one year, which we just have not expanded those in the last eight or 10 years um, that have been mental health um, uh, uh, competent as well as substance use competent in years. And now we're looking at the fact that we've, of course, through circumstances, lost beds in the PRC Baker system that we're trying to recover. And the, I know the department's working real hard on that. So, you know, I, you know, I, I would think, you know, that if we were really a system which we're struggling to be, which I really support the departments behind this, a department that's moving now toward recovery and reintegration into the community and stopping the cycle in and out of acute care and emergency interventions, we need treatment in that mid-range rate of 90-day to two-year two, uh, to one-year programs. And my sense was when, when we were looking at MHSF in the early days that, that that's a level of care that could be doubled and uh, I believe that if it were, if we had twice as many beds at that level of care with culturally and neighborhood specific responsive services, that we could significantly reduce the repetitive emergency room visits and inpatient stays um, that we're facing, as well as the long-term care issues we have with having to, to buy beds out of county at, at uh, skilled nursing settings. And then, that scopes out to the supported living model. Uh, for many Progress Foundation's clients, going from treatment into a 100-bed hotel isn't necessarily um, something they're ready for. So the, the scattered site apartment program structure that Conard House provides, that PRC Baker did, still does, if we can keep those services going and that progress does is that next model where people can live in supported living environments that are four to six people living together in communities all over the city who are integrated in the community but getting um, titrated case management support to, to keep them moving along the path of recovery. Um, so Thank we you. could use a lot more of those. Thank you for Thank you for providing a model that is so intuitively makes sense. <laughs> and thank you for explaining and being real about the need out there. I, I would just ask Mr. Rocha, and we're gonna have a new committee now um, that I'm gonna be chairing that is going to be really seeing all the homeless and behavioral health work in one committee, including my understanding is we'll have fiscal powers so that we'll see all of these right. items. So so that specifically what Supervisor Safai is asking for is understanding all these huge contracts um, in within how, it, how they fit within a system of care that I know we're still trying to establish with, with the implementation of Mental Health SF and, 
And Steve, as a member of the international, uh, international, <laughs> it should be, uh, implementation working group, you know, one of the first things I'm really excited to do is try to have a joint meeting between the new committee and the um, implementation working group um, to have an update on mental health SF. I, 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 I'm just wondering if you could briefly respond, and I know this is a bit, a bit larger, so if you can't, that's fine. We'll talk about it more as the time comes, but just to... To, to what Steve is saying, because I think, you know, I know Supervisor Mandelman and I have been just continuously frustrated. I know you're working on a new BEDS report, but the latest <clears throat> BEDS report we have is from 2020 and from Dr. Nagusa Bland, and it never really resonated with what, you know, with what, what, what Steve says resonates with the actual reality of what's happening in our streets and in our neighborhoods and in our communities. That BEDS report never really resonated in that way. And I think we need, you know, this down-to-earth, realistic assessment of how do we improve not only the cycling from the streets to jail health services to the treatment programs back to the streets, which Mental Health SF tried to improve, and which, as far as I can tell, has not improved that much that reality of the crisis that we all witness in the streets every single day, at least in the Mission and the Bayview and Soma and Tenderloin, sometimes in the Castro, sometimes in Western Edition. You know, w when are we going to see the difference? And, and I think it's going to take this type of, you know, analysis where we need at least two or three more acute diversion units. We need it to at least double this, you know, 90-day to one-year treatment program before we can then move people to supportive housing or this co-op model, which I also think should be, you know, increased more and more. I, I'd just love to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, I'm in 100% agreement about the urgency and expediency having the right level of responses at the right level of care and at the right level of time, right? Um, I think thinking about the, on the right level of time too is um, agreeing with what Mr. Fuse mentioned, right? We do have to have an ecological perspective in addressing homelessness, housing needs, and housing needs, right? And also um, the social detriments to uh, health and mental health. Um, so looking at mental health treatment is one of the perspective, one of the lenses across the ecological view. Um, concur also as well, we do need to figure out what is a better report in indicating beds availability uh, at the right time, at the current time, and also can project forward rather than only a report that looks backward. So we can look retrospectively, currently, and also project into the future. Um, we have secure contract to move forward on the BED report. Um, also want to take a moment and accolades to our teams who have, you know, since March, we have also expanded more BEDs and do agree also as well as expanding more treatment capacity, thinking about dual diagnosis, what does that look like? Yeah, yeah. And, and when is that new, when is the update to the BEDs report due? Or when, when can we expect that? By June, end of June. By the end of June, okay. Well, to be continued, um, I, you know, I, I, I still have a lot of questions, a lot of concerns. <laughs> um, I still hear of individual cases all the time where, you know, of horror stories. The, the, the one yesterday um, was a, a young man who is bipolar, severe bipolar, type one with opioid addiction, who's been languishing in jail 
23 hours a day in his cell for the last 11 months, despite the fact that his mother had arranged for him a treatment bed at Salvation Army. You know, and I, I, it's just story after story. And so um, I, 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 I really am looking, I'm looking for, and, and yet DPH says they have a treatment on demand program, which I, it's just not true. So um, I, I definitely will be, you know, giving you all when we have this meeting on mental health SF implementation, how it's supposed to work versus how it's actually working instead of talking about it in the abstract where we rarely get helpful information, we'll walk through you know, about five to 10 real life cases that have happened and find out why did they fall through the cracks time and time and time again. Um, so I think that's the best way to go about it because talking about this in the abstract does not tend to get us the answers that Supervisor Safai, Supervisor Mandolin, and myself have been really, really looking for. Um, but with that, I want to thank uh, Executive Director Steve Fields for his work, for his, this model. Um, Director Fields helped me write Mental Health SF, um, and it, it was this, this community-based model where there was, there was actually transitions where you don't let someone go, but you move them through levels of care um, so that they can successfully be, you know, uh, get their life back on track and re-implement, you know, reintegrated re into community. Um, that really is the inspiration for it. So I'm very excited to um, be uh, approving, or I will support this contract amendment today and, and to be continued the conversation. Thank you. Uh, Oh, sir, Supervisor Chan. Thank you, uh, Chair Rona. I just want to put it on record. I think I said it, but I, I think it's insane that your, your, your commitment and then willingness to tackle this, like I would say by far one of the most challenging issues, not just facing San Francisco, but the entire nation. And, um, but it takes someone who's passionate and commitment, have actually that commitment, but also the bravery to tackle this and be willing to be our new chair of the Homelessness and Behavior Health Select Committee. It's amazing. I look forward to the work that you're gonna do and I agree that to actually have some physical um, authority over some like something kind of like this will actually really make a difference and, and be able to de devote your time and questionings. Um, I think what you know um, Supervisor Safai was talking about you know the measure of the matrix of a success how do you measure that the demographic and I think those actually really deserve the time and attention um, to really go through that but most importantly I also think that um, you in Chairon and you're in a unique space um, and role because of where you've been through. Like we, we constantly look back to you for your leadership and confirmation, like is this good? Like should we, should we support this? You know, and that's including the Wellness Center. And I think that's like um, continuing to have to, having those conversations and being able to work with Room 200 and bring Mayor Bree along with the legislation that you just introduced, which I think that demonstrates like, it's a commitment that is beyond politics and it's just really a commitment to trying to deliver the results that San Franciscans deserve. And thank you so much for DPH for continuing to work with us as a body, but thank you thank you for this and uh, I am in support of it and thank you BLA having, um, doing some of the analysis and coming to agreement with the amended amendments that we're gonna probably suggest and vote on. Thank you. Thank you.
Thank you so much. And now we can open this item up for public comment. Yes, members of the public who wish to speak on this item and are joining us in person should line up now. Uh, for those listening remotely, please call 415-655-0001. Enter the meeting ID of 2485-152-6945. Then press pound twice. How uh, Once connected, press star three to enter the speaker line. And for those already in the queue, please continue to wait until the system indicates you have been unmuted and as your signal to begin your comments. Seeing no in-person speakers here in the chamber. And Madam Chair, we have no speakers in the queue. Public comment is now closed. I would like to amend item number six as stated by, or accept the amendment, the recommendations of the BLA, and then send the amended item to the full board with positive recommendation. On that motion, to amend the resolution uh, to state uh, that the approval is retroactive and to forward this resolution to the full board with a positive recommendation as amended. Vice Chair Safai. Noted, Mr. Vice Chair. Safai, aye. Member Chan. Chan, aye. Chair Ronan. Aye. Ronan, aye. We have three ayes. That motion passes unanimously. Thank you. And can you please read item number seven? Item number seven is a resolution approving an original contract agreement between the San Francisco AIDS Foundation and the Department of Public Health to provide health access point services in an amount not to exceed approximately 11.8 million for a total initial contract term of January 1st, 2023 through June 30th, 2026, and to authorize DPH to enter into amendments or modifications to the contract prior to its final execution by all parties that do not materially increase the obligations or liabilities to the city and are necessary to effectuate the purposes of the contract or this resolution. Members of the public are joining us remotely and wish to comment. Please call 415-655-0001 with a meeting ID of 2485-152-6945. Then press pound twice. Once connected, press star three to enter the speaker line. A system prompt will indicate that you have raised your hand and when the system indicates you have been unmuted, that will be your signal to begin your comments. Madam Chair. Thank you, Thank you so much. And we have Nicole Trainer, I believe, on um, Teams to present. Yes, yes. Good afternoon, supervisors and attending community members. Can everyone hear me okay? Yes. Oh, great. Thank you so much. Uh, my name is Nicole Trainer, Contract and Budget Manager with the Community Health Equity and Promotion Branch, also known as CHEP. Thank you for the opportunity to present this resolution approving an original contract agreement between the San Francisco AIDS Foundation and the Department of Public Health to provide health access point services for men who have sex with men, Category 4, and capacity building services for other health access points. Next slide, please. An effort to implement an equity-focused, community-centered, whole-person care approach to integrated HIV, HCV, and STI prevention programs for affected communities. CHEP issued a request for a proposal in September of 2019 to implement a new and comprehensive model of care resulting in the implementation of a health access point, points, um, several health access points across the city. As a result of the RFP process, San Francisco AIDS Foundation was awarded to implement a health access point model to specifically address health disparities among men who have sex with men in San Francisco Category 3. Each health access point has the same standard requirement of care services to be delivered by their HAP. 
As such, these services will be offered in the San Francisco AIDS Foundation um, Health Access Point. And these services include integrated HIV, HCV, and STD testing, linkage and navigation, health education and counseling services, overdose prevention services, which also include education and naloxone distribution, syringe access and disposal, substance use and harm reduction services for opioids, stimulants, alcohol, tobacco, and cannabis, community engagement and outreach, um, condom distribution, primary care services, um, mental health services, prevention and treatment services, which, which also include PrEP, and um, which is pre-exposure prophylaxis, and ART for um, HIV, HCV, and STD treatment. Additionally, substance use treatment and basic needs, which also, uh, which include food, connection to food security, um, linkage to housing resources, and also um, linkage to employment services. Next slide, please. Additionally, DPH received a mayoral enhancement in the fiscal year 22-23 budget to support the city's getting to zero goal of zero new HIV infections, zero HIV-related deaths, and eliminating stigma by ensuring that all San Franciscans have equitable access to high-quality prevention, care, and treatment services. As this could only be accomplished through the successful implementation of the health access um, models across the city. This funding has been designated to support the successful implementation of all health access points. Specifically, San Francisco AIDS Foundation, they received a portion of these funds to provide capacity building and clinical lab support to ensure um, the successful implementation of the other health access points as well. Um, some of these health um, capacity building services include training academy and clinical assistance um, program, which will focus on workforce development opportunities for San Francisco community members. There's also a Black Health Clinical Assistance Program, which will focus on workforce development and employment pipelines specific to Black and African-American San Franciscans, technical support for the successful implementation of the integrated HIV, STI, and um, HCV infrastructure across the health access network, and also clinical services um, expansion and sustainability to ensure all of the health access points have clinical lab support. Um, next slide, please. DPH is in agreement with the budget and legislative analyst recommendation, and also DPH at this time is requesting approval of the proposed resolution and amend, um, as amended. Thank you very much. Thank you so much uh, for your, for, again, for the work. And I don't see any questions, so we'll open this item up for public comment. Great. Yes, members of the public who wish to speak on this item and are joining us in person should line up now. For those listening remotely, please call 415-655-0001. Enter the meeting ID of 2485-152-6945. Compress pound twice. Once connected, press star three to enter the speaker line. And for those already in the queue, please continue to wait until the system indicates you have been admitted and that'll be your signal to begin your comments. Seeing no in-person speakers here in the chamber. Just waiting for a verification if we have any, uh, Madam Chair, we have no speakers in the queue. 
Uh, public comment is now closed, and now we'll hear from the BLA on this item. Item seven is a resolution approving a new agreement between the Department of Public Health and the AIDS Foundation to um, provide a health access point for gay men um, as described by the department in their presentation. This agreement um, is for three and a half years, starting January 1st of this year through June 2026. Um, <coughs> and it includes um, seven one-year options to extend through December 2032. The resolution is not to exceed amount. It's based on that initial term of three and a half years. Um, we described the services uh, of this agreement on pages 22 and 23 of our report, which include the health access point as well as um, an expansion of lab testing capacity and capacity building for other health access points. Uh, there, we reviewed the financial condition of the AIDS Foundation um, and determined that there were no issues. There are no performance metrics yet for this agreement because it's a new program and a new agreement, but we did review the requirements of the contract and believe they are sufficient to control for performance. We show on page 25 of our report the budget for this contract, which is about $3 million a year, um, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> and um, we do have a clarifying amendment to, for the resolution to state that the uh, approval is retroactive because this is the January 1st agreement and otherwise recommend approval. Wonderful. Thank you so much. And I would like to make a motion to amend item 7 at, or accept the amendments uh, requested by the BLA and send the amended item to the full board with positive recommendation. On that motion to amend the resolution uh, to include retroactive uh, language as proposed by the BLA, hand to forward the resolution to the full board with a positive recommendation as amended, Vice Chair Safai. Safai, I member Chan. Chan, aye, Chair Ronan. Aye. Ronan, aye, we have three ayes. That motion passes unanimously. Thank you. Hi. Can you thank you. Thank you. Mr. Clerk, can you please read item number eight? Yes, item number eight is a resolution approving for the purposes of Internal Revenue Code the issuance and sale of revenue obligations by the California Enterprise Development Authority in an aggregate principal amount not to exceed $20 million to finance the cost of renovation, construction, installation, equipping, and or furnishing of educational and related facilities to be owned and operated by Chinese American International School, a California nonprofit benefit public benefit corporation members of the public who are joining us remotely and wish to comment on these resolutions oh sorry in this resolution please call the public comment number at 415-655-0001 enter the meeting id of 2485-152-6945 then press pound twice once connected uh, press star three to enter the speaker line hey prompt will indicate that you have raised your hand and when the system indicates you have been unmuted that will be your signal to begin your comments madam chair Thank you so much. And we have Keith Sebney on the line to present on this item. Oh, no, you're in the house. Hi. Good afternoon, supervisors. Uh, my name is Keith Sebney from the Controller's Office of Public Finance. Thank you for considering this resolution today. Representatives from the Chinese American International School and their financing team have also joined the call in case there are uh, more questions about the project or the school. Just as a brief reminder for the committee and the public, the Tax Equity and Fiscal Responsibility Act is called TEFRA for short. 
and it allows for certain types of debt to be issued on a tax-exempt basis by nonprofit organizations through joint powers authorities. This resolution is here before you today because federal tax law requires that the governing body of the jurisdiction in which the project is located approve the financing and the project before the bonds can be issued. The resolution is for the Chinese American International School, or CAIS, which is a California nonprofit public benefit corporation and a federal 501c3 organization. The debt will be issued through the California Enterprise Development Authority, which is a joint powers authority to which the city and county of San Francisco is a participating member. Per the federal TEFRA regulations, a public hearing notice was published on the city's public notices website on December 9th, and a public hearing was held by the Office of Public Finance via a toll-free teleconference on December 16th. No comments from any members of the public were heard or received through the public hearing process. CAIS opened in 1981 with 10 enrolled students and has since grown into three campuses offering preschool through eighth grade with a total enrollment currently of 492 students. The proceeds from the sale of the qualified 501c3 bonds will be loaned to the school in a total amount not to exceed 20 million in order to finance the cost of renovation, construction, and furnishing of the school's educational and related facilities at their new campus located at 3250 19th Avenue. The project is located in District 7 and the legislation is being sponsored by Supervi Supervisor Melgar. Excuse me. Approval of the legislation will have no fiscal impact to the city and county of San Francisco as the debt obligations will be payable from and secured solely by amounts received from on or behalf of the school. Uh, that concludes my presentation. Happy to take any questions. And as I mentioned, there's representatives from the school and their finance team on the line as well. Thank you. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Any questions, colleagues? Nope. Seeing none, we'll open this item up for public comment. Yes, Madam Chair. Members of the public who wish to speak on this item and are joining us in person should line up now. For those listening remotely, please call 415-655-0001 with the meeting ID of 2485-152-6945, then pound twice. Once connected, press star 3 to enter the speaker line. If you're already in the queue, please continue to wait until the system indicates you have been unmuted, and that will be your signal to begin your comments. Seeing no in-person speakers here in the chamber, Madam Chair, we have no speakers in the queue. Public comment is now closed. I'd like to make a motion to send this item to the full board with positive recommendation. On that motion to forward this resolution to the full board with positive recommendation, Vice Chair Safai. Safai, aye. Member Chan. Chan, aye. Chair Ronan. Aye. Ronan, aye. We have three ayes. That motion passes unanimously. Thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, Mr. Clerk, can you please read items 9, 10, 11, and 12 together? Yes, Madam Chair, mem uh, items, uh, numbers 9, 10, uh, well, 9, 11, and 12 are resolutions authorizing the issuance and sales of the following, not to exceed aggregate principal amount in one or more series of bonds on a tax-exempt or taxable basis of city and county 
uh, San, of San Francisco general obligation bonds, prescribing the form and terms of such bonds, and any subseries designation providing for the appointment of depositories and other agents for such bonds, providing for the establishment of accounts and or subaccounts related to such bonds, authorizing the sale of such bonds by competitive or negotiated sale, approving the forms of the official notices of sale and notices of intention to sell such bonds, and directing the publication of the notices to in of intention to sell bonds, approving the form of the purchase contracts, approving the form of the preliminary official statement and execution of the official statements relating to the sale of such bonds, approving the form of the continuing disclosure certificates, authorizing and approving modifications to such documents, ratifying certain actions previously taken uh, as defined, and granting general authority to city officials to take necessary actions in connection with the authorization, issue, and sale and delivery of such bonds as defined. Item number nine is for an aggregate principal amount not to exceed $30 million of health and recovery 2020 series 2023A. Item number 11 is for an aggregate principal amount not to exceed $42 million of Embarcadero Seawall Earthquake Safety 2018 series 2023B. Item number 12 is for an aggregate principal amount not to exceed $172 million of Social Bonds Affordable Housing 2019 Series 2023C. And item number 10 is an ordinance appropriating $30 million of proceeds from the Series 2023A Health and Recovery General Ob Obligation Bonds to the Recreation and Park Department for improvements to, uh, to parks recreation facilities and open spaces. 42 million of proceeds from the Series 2023B Embarcadero Seawall bonds uh, to the Port of San Francisco for planning, engagement program management, pilot projects, uh, Embarcadero project pre-design and detailed design, and a flood study with the United States Army Corps of Engineers. 172 million from the C Series 2023C affordable housing to the uh, Mayor's Office of Housing and Community Development for Public, Low-Income Preservation and Middle-Income and Senior Housing Projects in fiscal year 2022 to 2023, and placing these funds on controller's reserve pending receipt of bond proceeds. Members of the public are joining us remotely and wish to comment on these four items. Please call the public comment number in 415-655-0001 uh, with a meeting ID of 2485-152-6945, then press pound twice. Once connected, press star three to enter the speaker line. A prompt will indicate that you have raised your hand, and when the system indicates you have been admitted, that will be your signal to begin your comment. Madam Chair. Thank you so much, and we have Vishal Trevedi here uh, from the Controller's Office to present. Good afternoon, members of the committee. Thank you, Chair Ronan. Um, just to quickly recapitulate, the four pieces of legislation in front of you right now are three bond sale resolutions uh, for three different bond authorizations, the 2020 Health and Recovery Bond, the 2018 Embarcadero Seawall Earthquake Safety Bond, and the 2019 Affordable Housing Bond. They're all here before you for their second issuance uh, approval. The three resolutions will approve the sale and issuance of bonds as well as the associated forms of financing documents um, for, for for the issuance and uh, the, the fourth item is the appropriation ordinance appropriating the bond proceeds for the projects the transaction costs and oversight uh, I have uh, with me the departments who are going to be managing the projects They're, they'll present to you the uh, the use the projects that the uh, the bond proceeds are going to be used for and then uh, I will come back and 
quickly uh, cover the, some of the projected costs and uh, timeline of, of the sale and issuance of the bonds. So first, I'd like to introduce Stacy Bradley from the Department of Recreation and Park to, to discuss uh, their use of the uh, proposed health and recovery bonds. Thanks, Michelle. Good afternoon, um, Supervisors. My name is Stacy Bradley. I'm the deputy. I'm the director of capital and planning at the Recreation and Park Department. Um, slides, yeah. Thanks. Next slide, please. Thank you. Are just an overview of the total health and recovery bond program from 2020. 207 million were used um, for facilities to provide treatment and supportive housing for the homeless and mentally ill. 239 million for park and recreation facilities, and then 4.1. Four, I'm sorry, 41.5 million for curb ramps, street resurfacing, street structures, and other um, rights of way improvements by Public Works. The first issuance was for 425 million. Uh, HSH and DPH um, and Public Works all requested their full voter-approved program budget in the first issuance. We requested 176.5 million, or about 74% of our bond authority. Uh, if you can go to the next slide, please. For the second issuance, we're requesting up to $30 million. Of that, we'll be using $8.4 million for the recovery parks bucket and $20 million for citywide parks and programs. Um, I'm going to just show you where those funds are going in the next few slides. Now, the next one, please. This is one of our um, signature projects, Gene Friend. It's located in Soma. It has a, a $59 billion program budget, and the bond originally allocated $30 million to it. We are going to supplement with bridge funding until we receive um, impact fees from the Central Soma area plan, which we anticipate coming shortly. But in case it doesn't, um, we have a plan for bridge funding to allow us to deliver this project on time. Um, and within budget. So we are, we are going to provide the bridge funding from the playground program funding bucket, $3 million, and from the sustainability bucket of $6 million, and then the named project, um, sorry, the, some contingencies as well to round it out to, 40, to include $41.1 million. We've already started seeing central sum of monies coming in, so I'm pretty confident that we'll be able to uh, refund or repay the, um, this bridge funding shortly and be able to continue on with our program. Uh, but this project we have received, we have a design um, award contract that was awarded in December 21 and CMGC contract awarded in, by the Rec and Park Commission in August 22. This is our first CMGC contract and we're very excited to deliver this project. Thank you. Next um, slide is the um, the recovery parks that we will that will receive the 8.4 million dollars. We have Buena Vista where we're doing extensive improvements to the paved network throughout the park's interior, um, and we're expected to begin that in 24. South Sunset Clubhouse, we're looking at the renovation of existing building to better serve community needs, and we're expecting that to begin in late 24. This project also received $2.3 million in state funding. We have um, Crocker Amazon baseball field renovation, which will renovate baseball, the baseball fields and related facilities um, in coordination with the Giants as a partnership project. This has received a $15 million bond budget. And then we also have the Richmond Senior Park at the Golden Gate Park Senior Center. This received a million dollars um, from the bond. The last two, Crocker and Richmond, will be receiving $3.5 million um, together so that we can be flexible as we deliver 
deliver these projects and be able to provide planning and design um, for both of the projects as we move them forward. And we plan on selling the remaining funds for both projects in our last bond sale, which is anticipated in um, spring of 25. Last, thank you, we have our citywide parks and programs. Golden Gate Park, Lake Merced, McLaren Park um, are the citywide parks that we will be um, dedicating some funds to for delivering a variety of projects, um, mostly focused on um, uh, just improvements throughout, and then and starting the McLaren vision process for the planning of the next, uh, of this bond. Um, then we have the COF program. You can see the results of one project in the upper right-hand corner uh, at Bayview Playground. And we have the community garden program. We anticipate using the community garden funds in the Lewis Sutter um, neighborhood, in the Lewis Sutter Playground where we're doing the community grow facility with our urban egg um, team. And then we also have playgrounds that, ha that will receive a little bit of funding to continue that uh, project as well. Thank you. I am available for questions, and I'm going to hand it over to the port. Oh, sorry. Uh, supervisor? You. There's a discrepancy in your presentation. Oh, apologies. <clears throat> you say $15 million in your presentation for Crocker Amazon, and then you go on your health and recovery bond, parks and open space, and it actually lists uh, $16 million. And you add it up, it actually adds up to $16 million. I, That's because um, the fit there, so the Crocker Amazon is $15 million and Richmond Senior Park is $1 million. So the two of those together receive $16 million, but each one, Crocker no, Amazon. No, no, no. Oh. Look on your chart on page four. Yes. It says, oh, got it. Got it. I didn't see the second part. It says Richmond Senior Park. Got it. Right. Mm -hmm. Okay, so a million of that is going into Richmond Senior Park. That's right. It's allowing us to be flexible so that we can deliver, we can move forward with both projects, but we don't know exactly how much money is needed um, at each site, so we're allowing us to be flexible to do the planning. In, unless there's more clarification questions, I want to go through all the presentations. Do you have substantive questions or clarification questions? Okay. Do you mind waiting until we get through all the presentations in the BLA and then we can ask questions? Thank you. Okay. We'll we'll get back okay. to questions. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. Thank well, you. next is Brad Benson with the port. Thank Great. You. Thanks. Thank you. Good afternoon, Chair Ronan, Supervisors. Brad Benson. Uh, I'm the port's waterfront resilience director. And I'm here with Carlos Colon, who is our principal administrative analyst. Um, uh, I'll be presenting the first of our slides, and Carlos will go over the use of bond proceeds. Um, if I could have the next slide, please. So we want to give you a bit of an overview about where we are with Embarcadero early projects. Um, uh, then talk a little bit about a living seawall pilot uh, that we're initiating so that we can think about how to incorporate nature in the future seawall and then go over uh, program funding. Next slide, please. So um, 
we, since 2018, we've been involved in a lot of work. Uh, we conducted a robust multi-hazard risk assessment of the entire Embarcadero area from Fisherman's Wharf down to uh, Mission Creek. Uh, we published the results of that multi-hazard risk assessment in late 2020, uh, entered a planning phase to look at how to address those risks, and identified 23 Embarcadero early projects that you see on the screen here. I'm not going to go over all of these, but in, in late 2021, we made a recommendation to the Port Commission to advance 11 of these through pre-design. Uh, and one geographic strategy that contains five projects. Um, to date, we have moved six of these projects through needs assessment, which is essentially developing scoping uh, in consultation with port divisions and a range of alternatives. Um, uh, I'll just point out a few of these. Uh, actually, I'm going to get into these projects in a little bit more detail. Next slide, please. So um, we're trying to have a very structured process by which we advance the design of these projects. I've talked a little bit about the initial planning work that we did. We've completed needs assessment. Uh, the next steps in alternatives uh, is alternatives analysis, where we'll look at the cost and benefits of different alternatives to select a preferred alternative, and then move on to conceptual engineering uh, for these projects, after which we'll do detailed design, uh, bid for construction, uh, and then construction closeout. Next slide, please. So um, just taking each of these projects, a brief overview. We've got a Wharf J9 project in Fisherman's Wharf. This is a dilapidated wharf that is red tagged. Um, the seawall is vulnerable to movement in this location that could, could cause structure collapse. So this project is looking at sort of stabilizing the shoreline, rebuilding public access, and working access for fishermen and um, the fish processors. Next slide, please. Um, this Pier 15 bulkhead wall and wharf earthquake safety retrofit project uh, is at the Exploratorium. The Exploratorium was seismically retrofit when it was initially rehabbed in 2007, but that was before there was an understanding about the risk of movement of the seawall bayward in a larger earthquake event. So there is risk to this facility, and we're looking at how to seismically stabilize the wharf zone so that we can provide an appropriate level of protection for the facility and its users. Next slide, please. The Pier 9 bulkhead wharf uh, and, and, and wall project is very similar to the Exploratorium proje um, project. The same problem exists at this location. We have a number of very important maritime tenants, including WIDA and the bar pilots that occupy Pier 9. Um, uh, and and so this is in advance of major fixes to the seawall, how we can make this safer uh, until we can get to that bigger move. Next slide, please. Uh, this ferry building seawall and substructure earthquake reliability project is one of the bigger projects on this list. Um, uh, it's, it's, uh, the ferry building was rehabbed around 2000, but there was only a seismic retrofit to the superstructure of the building. So it's a very interesting and unique structure, uh, substructure, 5,000 wood piles on a cast-in-place concrete arch substructure. Uh, we need to investigate that, make sure that it'll perform in a larger event. 
one of the things that we've heard through our public outreach is that people want to preserve the ferry building at all costs. And as we go through the design process for this, we're going to look at ways of stabilizing that substructure so that in the future, if needed, the fairing building could be lifted to address sea level rise when, when that is needed. Next slide, please. This, this project is a coastal resilience project. The ferry building area is actually one of the lower lying areas along the waterfront due to settlement of the area. So this would be a coastal flood risk reduction project extending from about Pier 5 north of the ferry building down to Pier 22 and a half right close to the Bay Bridge. This project is important not just to protect the historic resources in this area, but we also have the Embarcadero Muni portal rising out of the Embarcadero at this location, and we have to avoid flooding of the Embarcadero Muni portal and by extension BART. Um, we've recently partnered with BART on an application to the Federal Emergency Management Agency under their Building Resilience Infrastructure and Communities Program. It's a $50 million grant application, and we'll find out later on this year whether or not we succeed in that national competition. Next slide, please. And then finally, this Pier 24 and a half to Pier 28 uh, bulkhead wall and wharf earthquake safety retrofit project. Um, this, this area is actually a, a bit more stable than the areas around the ferry building and north in terms of the risk of shoreline failure. But here we have a very tall bulkhead wall that could decouple from the wharf uh, and it creates a collapse risk. We think that there's an opportunity for some really targeted investment in this area that could potentially extend even beyond these piers down to piers 3032 and 38 and 40 and really stabilize a good segment of the shoreline. Next slide, please. And then um, to the Living Seawall pilot effort, this is a collaboration with the Smithsonian Environmental Research Center. Um, they really specialize in looking at nature-based adaptation around the bay. Um, so we're looking at installing panels at three locations with different admixtures and different textures to look at how we can attract sort of native species to grow on a future seawall. This, this pilot is going to have a two-year monitoring period so that we can see what types of growth we attract through this effort. Uh, it's inspired in part by projects like the um, Elliott Bay Seawall in Seattle. Next slide, please. And now I'm going to hand it off to Carlos. Good afternoon. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, Carlos Colon, the program administrator. Uh, from the first issuance, which was authorized back in 2019, uh, we have spent 39 of the 49 million. Uh, and just to give you some background, the, the board did authorize the issuance in 2019 uh, due to a legal challenge. We did not actually have the issuance until June of 2020. Uh, so in the last two years, we spent the 39 million, the majority spent on planning, which has led to the early projects, which Brad has described. Uh, we do expect to encumber and spend the remaining balance by the end of this fiscal year. Uh, next slide. Uh, so we are seeking an additional 42 million uh, to take us through pre-design of nine projects and a needs assessment of additional four with selecting three to four projects for detailed design. Uh, we expect this money to last us for the next two years and it come back again in the 
maybe mid to end 2024 for a third issuance request, which will get us to construction. Um, and that's, that's our presentation. Thank you. Uh, good afternoon, Supervisors. Benjamin McCloskey, Deputy Director for Finance and Administration at the Mayor's Office of Housing and Community Development. Uh, today we're asking for your approval to authorize the sale of the second issuance of the 2019 Affordable Housing GO bonds in an amount not to exceed $172 million. Uh, the bond passed in November of 2019. The total bond amount was $600 million. The first issuance was about $255 million that was issued in March of 2021. Um, we're still wrapping up the accounting for the period ending in December, but um, looking back six months before that, we of that first issuance, we had spent 38% and encumbered an additional 21%. And we anticipate that this first issuance will be fully spent by June of 2024. Uh, this map demonstrates from the first issuance the investments that we've made to date. Uh, the size of the circle shows you the number of units and then you can see where across the city the projects are. And you can see a few smaller circles. Those are from our small sites program. This is similar information but in a table format. Sorry, it's small, but the good news about it being small is that there's lots of units of affordable housing on this chart. Uh, you can see the addresses of the locations from the first issuance, and then we've organized it into showing number of units in pre-development, the design phase, uh, and then also what's in construction. Uh, altogether from the first issuance uh, is supporting around almost 2,500 units. Nothing completed yet, but as you know, so once things are in construction, we're, we're not too far away from people actually living in those homes. Uh, on to the second issuance that we're asking for your approval for today. Uh, the first category of spending is in the public housing category of the bond, uh, about $97 million in this category to support work at Hope SF, Sunnydale, Potrero, and Hunter's View sites. Uh, this will support not only 288 units of housing, but also infrastructure development, so basic streets and sewers and whatnot, um, at Potrero that will support two additional affordable developments that were, uh, will provide additional units of housing. And these are both public housing replacement units and new tax credit units for affordable housing. Uh, the second category of spending is what we're calling low-income housing, and uh, there's three different projects in that category totaling almost 400 units. Uh, some of these projects will be familiar to you, I'm expecting. Uh, the first is 730 Stanyon. This is the old McDonald site right by Golden Gate Park. Uh, about 160 units of housing, 40 of which we're targeting for households uh, leaving homelessness. And because of that, the income range goes all the way down to 0% AMI to 80% AMI. The second project in this category is Maceo May. Maceo May is on Treasure Island. It's currently in construction, and it needs a little bit more uh, funding to get it across the finish line. Uh, this project is 105 units. It's targeted to veterans. 
uh, and 33 of the units uh, will be occupied by formerly homeless vets who are already living in other housing on Treasure Island. The third project in this category is Balboa Reservoir Building E. This is the first of four developments that are uh, at the reservoir, 124 units, AMIs ranging from about 40% to 105% of area median income. The next category is senior housing. Uh, this will just uh, be funding one project of 98 units, uh, 4200 Geary Boulevard, which is at 6th Avenue. Uh, the site was acquired through MoCD's uh, Geographic Equity NOFA back in 2019, and we're currently targeting about 98 units for seniors. Uh, 20 of those will be from seniors leaving homelessness, and further 12 will be veteran seniors leaving homelessness, and then on top of that, 30 units for extremely low-income seniors that will need uh, support from our senior operating subsidy program in order to afford those rents. Uh, and this is a, a rendering of the project. Uh, and then finally, uh, middle-income housing. So uh, as you may know, uh, one of the most cost-effective ways to support middle-income housing in San Francisco, which isn't eligible for federal uh, low-income housing tax credits, is through down payment assistance loan program. Uh, we have a long history of, of success in our down payment assistance loan program, and we are constantly adjusting the, the amounts of the loans and the AMI levels to, to appropriately fit the market as it is. Uh, from this issuance, we're, uh, the maximum down payment assistance per household would be $500,000. We're guessing, based on, on, on our, what we're currently seeing in the program, about $425,000 per household. Um, this is, the AMI levels for these households is from 120 to 200% AMI. And uh, these loans, there are no payments due until the unit is sold, transferred, or if someone's breaking the rules and we make them sell it. Um, and when they sell, they owe the entire principal amount plus a share of the appreciated value of the property. And then we use those uh, repayments from the down payment assistance loan program to help another new homeowner move into a new home. And with that, I'll turn it back to Vishal. Thank you, Benjamin. Uh, so as you can see, we have a wide variety of projects here that we're looking to fund. Uh, we tried to lump these different uh, issuances together with these different authorizations in order to save on transaction costs. So we, these are all the same credit, general obligation bond to the bond market. Uh, and so we were able to just use one set of disclosure, one single offering statement, one set of professionals to advise us on the deal. So that enables the city to save a little money on financing costs. So uh, based on our, uh, our project requirements from our departments that we're trying to fund here, uh, we've generated a set of sources and uses uh, based on a good faith estimate from our municipal advisors, Fieldman Rollapp. And uh, so that includes the, the uh, estimated PAR to fund the project amounts as well as the various uh, issuance and oversight costs. And then uh, because this is only a projection um, and an estimate based on an estimate, uh, we have uh, a little reserve as well built into this to account for any changes in costs in the bond market between um, the time of introduction of, the, of this legislation and when we price the bonds. So uh, as you can see, this is how we intend to use the uh, pr projected $236.2 million um, and the total $244 million not to exceed amount from the three resolutions. 
So the cost of this uh, projected uh, issuance uh, based on the uh, estimated interest rate that, uh, from our municipal advisors of 6.5%, it would be a total interest cost uh, over the 25-year term of the bonds of approximately $233.4 million, and that translates to a property tax impact annually of $5.67 per $100,000. So for a $600,000 home, that would be $33.62 annually to pay for the, the debt service on these bonds. And uh, in terms of the city's debt capacity, uh, the controller uh, issues a certified net assessed valuation every fiscal year, so our current net assessed value for the city is $328.5 billion. Uh, as a charter city, uh, our charter debt limit is 3% geo bonds out of that $328.5 billion. So that oh. translates to a debt capacity of $9.8 billion. Currently, our outstanding debt is only $2.6 billion. And uh, if we issued these proposed bonds, that would bring us up to about $2.86 billion. So well within that 3%. Uh, debt capacity threshold. Uh, the capital planning constraint is an additional constraint that we abide by to not raise property taxes above the fiscal year 2006 rate. And uh, uh, this planned issuance is consistent with that. Uh, we'll be able to structure the repayment of the debt service in order to maintain the tax rate below the fiscal year uh, 2006 rate. So uh, with that, uh, our anticipated timeline, we're here at Budget and Finance. Uh, we're hoping for approval uh, today and to at the Board of Supervisors over the next coming weeks. And then uh, we will be uh, updating our disclosure documents in March, and we plan to uh, issue and price the bonds in April. So if you have any questions for, for me or, or the project team, uh, we'll be happy to take them. Thank you. Thank you so much. We'll hear from the BLA and then turn it over for questions. Thank you. Uh, these items um, approve uh, a bond transaction for general obligation bonds, um, which we detail in the report, $30 million of um, 2020 health and recovery bonds uh, for recreation and park projects, $42 million for 2018 Embarcadero Seawall bonds um, for related projects um, managed by the port, and then $172 million of 2019 affordable housing geo bonds uh, for affordable housing projects and a um, down payment assistance program. We detail the uh, projects on pages 31 and 32 of our report. Um, and in terms of the fiscal impact, these bonds are repaid by um, property taxes. The annual debt service on average will be $18.6 million a year. And over the 25-year life of the bonds, total debt service um, on this on this sale will be $469.7 million. The transaction is consistent with the city's debt policies for general obligation bonds, and we recommend approval. Thank you so much. Supervisor Tan. Thank you, Chair Ronan. I am trying to understand a little bit better about the um, the project timelines for both Rec and Park and for the seawall and how that actually line up with these um, sales of the bonds. Um, and so I, I guess for Rec and Park, it's like the list of uh, project that was listed. And then similarly, um, looking to um, answers from the port about seawall is that I, I think with the sales of this bond and what would be the construction timeline and completion timeline? Because uh, I think for both uh, presentations, 
you talked about the projects and sort of a little bit of the scope of the work, but not so much of the timeline in terms of construction and close out. Um, Sorry about that. We have for okay. the uh, Gene Friend project, which some of the bond funds from this pro uh, bond sale will go towards, we're anticipating starting construction in the middle of 2023, so this year. Um, for Buena Vista, we anticipate starting construction um, in 2024. For South Sunset, we anticipate beginning construction in late 2024. For Crocker Amazon, we are still, um, and for Richmond Senior Park, we're still anticipating um, doing more planning and design work, which these funds are um, helping us deliver, develop the exact construction but timeframe. Um, we anticipate the Senior Park actually uh, being delivered within the three years that we um, have to spend the funds, and it'll take longer likely to fully deliver the Crocker Amazon um, renovations. Because uh, what is anticipated a construction time? I mean, June Friend, obviously, it's a whole different scale. And I wanted to say that the, the Richmond Senior um, Center one, that actually is before my time, mm -hmm. which is I've been in office for two years. So I know that Supervisor Sandra Leafier was the one who advocated for it when the bond was going on the ballot. Yeah. Um, and so just trying to understand, obviously, different scales and have different timelines. So if constructions are starting in 24, so the construction, <coughs> so we're anticipating completion of all these projects, what, 2026? Well, um, well, the timeframes are different for each one, so I don't think they'll all finish by 26. Um, it's likely to last until about 27, 28. Okay. Wow. Okay. Uh, thank you. I mean, I, I, of course I'm in support of, of these, but I'm just curious about just what, how, how do we face sales of the bond and the proceeds and allocation of the funding and then for you to begin your construction? Thank so you. So for us, we aim to um, fund the planning and design and then make sure that we have all cash on hand when we go out to bid. So um, Which is some, 2024. Right. Well, so, well okay. some of the, it's a mixture. So some of this is funding the uh, planning and design work, some of it's funding construction. And so then we have a final bond sale that will, find, that will uh, complete some of these projects to... To, for the construction, okay. so they have money in advance. Thank Thanks. you. Hi, Supervisor. Um, so with the uh, Embarcadero early projects, um, we're not likely to start construction uh, for the probably the first two easiest projects until 2024. Um, we're actually not going to you know, publish scope, schedule, and budget for these projects until we get to a 10% level of conceptual engineering, because that's really when you have scope, schedule, and budget. Um, for, for all of the projects, we expect construction activities to extend beyond 2028. Thinking about that ferry building project as an example, if that does end up going to construction under this particular bond, that's a very complicated project, and, and construction could take quite some time as well as design. And because you mentioned out of the, there's like the 11 and the 5, um, both, the 5 is geographic because they're adjacent to each other. And then you mentioned, I think, in your um, presentation that 6 of the 12 uh, has finished needs assessments report. So does that mean the 6 out of that 12 will be prioritized, or how does... 
Actually, we're going to continue to move projects through needs assessment and the other steps in that pre-design before we get to a decision about which projects finally go to construction. Again, we want to have the Port Commission and the Capital Planning Committee have sort of a clear window into the, the cost of each of these projects compared to the benefits before we make final decisions about what to prioritize for this bond in terms of construction. And does that mean, based on Carl's um, uh, presentation or part of his presentation, does that mean mid-2024 is you're going to start or decide, determine which project to start construction there on out? Yeah, and it, it, yes, I think uh, towards the latter part of 2023, we'll have a lot clearer picture. You mentioned that geographic strategy. If I could just touch on that for mm -hmm. a moment. Part of the complication of doing this resilience planning work is that we're not just looking at stabilizing the shoreline for earthquake risk. We're also thinking about sea level rise. And part of this second issuance is gonna fully fund our work with the Army Corps of Engineers. So we're lucky to be in this general investigation of flood risk with the Army Corps. This year is when we'll publish a preferred plan for that, how to deal with that coastal flood risk. And we're really only going to be able to attack that geographic strategy when we have that preferred plan. And then we can delve into that area knowing how, how much we have to elevate the shoreline and what the overarching strategy is. So. Thank you. I just think that especially given the fact that we have a historic like storm with 22 inches of rain. So suddenly just I think everybody know that like, you know, the, the end of Earth lands and literally, you know, there's a part of like where the S belong to SFPUC around Gray Highway literally fall off the earth um, into the ocean. So it's like, I, I think that there's a sense of urgency of trying to push along seawall. And obviously we also understand that, that there's the thinking about um, manage retreats and how do we manage our coasts but I just definitely think port is just a whole different ball game. Um, had a sense of urgency and look forward to just seeing how those uh, work progress in the next couple of years. Hopefully, I think it's not right to say as soon as possible because I understand you need to do it right. But it just it's just nerve wracking to think about um, the work that needs to be done and seeing this whole list. <laughs> that that needs to be done and also understanding that even with your seawall bond earlier that we we have suggested you know at early estimates that's two three years ago was total of two billion dollars but it sounded to me that it has been increased by the day each time when we're trying to learn more about it um so just uh would love to keep track and learn more uh how, how do we provide the support and and the sense of urgency given the controllers just also talk about how we are you know sort of reaching that limits of, of our bond capacity. Supervisor, I'm, I'm glad you brought up those storms. I think we saw in real time some of the potential combined flooding risk that we're facing. So it's not just sea level rise and coastal flood risk, but it's how we get inland flooding to the bay. Yeah. Um, and so we're working on that with the Corps. They actually were very interested in the storms that happened and how we build that into the study. So we do owe you sort of more information about Thank the study. We'll be back to the board, I think, later on this year to share what we're learning and get feedback and, and direction from the board. Um, and happy to reach out to your office for a briefing if that would be helpful.
Yes, thank you. Very grateful for that. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I think my last question is actually for the controller. Just help me a little bit uh, have a better understanding about your presentation in terms of um, capacity of where we're at. And you know, you mentioned that we are at, let me go to the number if I'm getting, it's like almost $3 billion. We're at capacity. Could you just elaborate just a little bit more, educate me and help sure. me understand uh, what that means for us in terms of bond capacity as a city? Yeah, so this city operates under sort of multiple constraints uh, for our general obligation bond program. First of all, obviously, wh whatever the voters can approve. Uh, and then secondly, the total amount of outstanding debt we're allowed to have is that 3% of the total net assessed valuation. So as the net assessed valuation grows, then that allows us to issue more debt up to that 3% number. And so that 3% mark is is that nine, uh, I have I have the slide up again if, if you want to present 8. it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That was the $9.8 billion of, so theoretically we could issue up to $9.8 billion of general obligation bond principal. At one time. Uh, on the books, outstanding debt at one time. Uh, however, we also have other constraints that we operate under. Um, sorry, yeah, right now, if you can see, so that we're at 0.8% out of that 3%, and these bonds would push us to 0.87% out of that 3%. Uh, we, again, also operate under this uh, capital planning constraint that we've adopted, uh, which is not to raise the tax rate above fiscal okay. 2006 levels. Um, and we've been maintaining that, and we will continue to be able to maintain that with this issuance as well. And uh, every, every issuance that we come and request uh, that you approve, we will check to make sure that it is consistent with that policy as long as the board keeps approving capital plans with that policy uh, in place. Um, so, but the, obviously the flip side of the nine, $9.8 billion limit is if, if we do issue up to $9.8 billion, it's highly unlikely that we're going to be able to maintain the fiscal year 2006 tax rate, especially given where interest rates are. Understood. And last question, you know, uh, we, we have done bond, but we also have done certificate of participation and, and just help me understand that how would that impact and as the sales of bond and, and as we continue on? Uh, is that within the same category? Is it? Um, there's there's slightly different categories. Capacity. So uh, general obligation bonds, uh, the voters approve an unlimited tax to repay right. the bonds that they've authorized. So they're creating a new revenue source of property taxes to repay bonds that we issue. Uh, so that doesn't affect the general fund. Certificates of participation are a uh, lease structure that is repaid by the general fund you have to appropriate the debt service every year in the budget okay. and so that obviously creates a general fund trade-off the more certificates of participation you issue the less. The less funds you have to do anything else uh, with so we also have another capital planning constraint that we have constrained the certificates of participation program to three and a quarter percent of the city's discretionary general fund revenue and so that's another capital planning policy that you reify every time that you adopt a new capital plan with that policy in it. Uh, and so those, those constraints, those are voluntary constraints that uh, give us credibility within the capital markets right. that we're not going to issue an unlimited <clears throat> amount of debt that we may not be able to afford in a, in a downturn. So uh, those, those, those policies are cited by rating agencies uh, as as a positive for our for our credit rating um, every time we we get a, a rating report from from the rating agencies so um, the, of course the the board is uh, you know here to, to to make the policies and so that's a policy that the board can continue to maintain or not um, 
Thank you. And to date, we're still at AAA. Yes, we're rated AAA by uh, S&P and Moody's for our general obligation bonds and uh, AA plus by Fitch. Thank you, and thank you, Chair Ronan. Thank you so much. Um, no further questions? We can uh, uh, oh, uh, Supervisor uh, Safai. Just one, one point of clarification. So you, you kind of brushed over it and you said, oh, we're going to be fine. We're getting the fees. I just, I just want to have a little further conversation. Gene Friend Rec Center says bond authorization for $30 million. You're upping that up to $41 million. Where, where are you taking the additional $11 million from? It is um, bridge funding, and it's expected to come. From, it will. It would come from the playgrounds bucket, which would be three million and six million from sustainability, and then the remainders from the contingencies. So you said that really quickly. Oh, I'm sorry. Three million from playgrounds. <laughs> yes, six million from sustainability, sustainability, and then the remainders from contingencies. So the balance uh, between the three and forty-one six is point nine one. And one 1.4 is 10.4. That still leaves you with another 700,000. Well, it's, um, there's also impact fee dollars that we have. Oh, so you've already so, collected some money. Yes. So you've gotten about 700,000 in impact fees so far. Yes. And so you need to borrow 10.4 in the interim. Yes. And how does that impact the playground sustainability and additional funding, because I know that some of the monies that we were anticipating for some of the projects in our district were coming from those areas as well. It just may delay them by a little bit, but we still plan on delivering everything. We anticipate it, these And these what's the timeline that you anticipate the, the additional monies coming in from, from the impact fees? What's the timeline for we that? We have started seeing the funds already re, um, come into the the city's budget, so I it, it appears as though we'll be able to move relatively quickly, but I, I don't know specifically because you know it's all based on development impact development. Is there anyone here from the department that can talk about how quickly they anticipate impact fees? Nope, and that that's done through the planning department, correct? Yeah. I mean, I guess the planning it, department it, it, manages. it would be better to have a better understanding how long and all these other projects are going to be impacted. I mean, listen, I'm excited about the Gene Friend Rec Center, but I also am concerned about playground sustainability and contingency dollars and how long that you intend to delay all of that work. We are really hopeful that it won't be very long. We've been receiving, uh, since some of the money has already come in, that we feel like this is going to move pretty quickly. I'm sorry. Do you still have a pool for June Friend? That's coming with, that would be part of the 88 Bluxom project, which we, the development has not moved forward on. The developer has not moved forward on that project. Yeah. So it's part of that. <clears throat> that element is part of that project. So, so part of Gene Friend, it's going. It's it, now you're moving forward as design, or you're going. Yes, as designed. Yeah. So you you design the part of Gene Friend is is based with the bond design and funding, and then the pool part, the swimming pool part for Gene Friend, you're waiting. It's because it's donation. That's right. right base, and then it's, so you're waiting for the donated, the donor and the developer to move the, the other half apart. The, exactly forward. I mean, I, I share, I share your sentiments. 
about. Yeah, and what, what's, the, what's the timeline for Gene Friend to begin? This summer. Okay, that's what I... Oh, here it is. Construction expense. And, and do you have your bids back? Yes, well, we've entered into a CMGC um, construction contract, so they, <clears throat> the contractor at Swinnerton is on board, and we're doing the pre-construction services now. We just finished SD phase. We're starting our design development phase, and we're developing the construction documents with Swinnerton as our partner. Then we'll issue um, trade core trade packages along the way to deliver the project. And is your community impact fees, is it the shadow or is it the community benefit? No, it's part of the neighborhood area plan for the community developers that are, uh, the developers as they deliver their projects, they right. will pay the impact fees to the city. How much are you anticipating? Well, for this project, we're anticipating $25 million to come from the central SOMA plan and uh -huh. um, about $2 million, it's a little under $2 million from um, previous allocations. So and we already have a good amount of funding from the um, area plans, from the developer impact fees. So this bridge funding is expected to be temporary. And, um, you know, the, we have been seeing development pick up. So I really don't think it, I mean, I really think this is a. Was that impact fee allocated by the commission? The impact fees are through the budgeting, budgeting process with the neighborhood area plans and the um, IPIC funding. That the, come in, the IPIC, you know, the... ABAC area. The, no, the interdepartmental planning committee through the planning department, they, um, they work with the controller's office to budget the funds that come in from the neighborhood area plans through, um, it goes to Rec and Park, MTA, Public Works, and Child Care. Sorry, I was just explaining uh, where the, again, so three million out of the nine of the playgrounds in these areas for Lake Merced, McLaren Park, and Golden Gate Park, um, six million out of sustainability, and then zeroing out the contingency dollars. That's right. And the um, citywide parks is a separate line item. It's $18 million for Golden Gate Park, Lake Merced, and John McLaren, McLaren Park, and then playgrounds is nine millions for all the playgrounds. Mm -hmm. Oh, wait. The 18 million for citywide parks is a separate line item from the others. That's right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, okay. So you're, are you taking any money out of the citywide parks? No. No, you're taking it from the, the three parks that are listed there. Those three parks are considered the citywide parks, and oh. those are the ones that receive the, the, 18, the 18 million is divided the, between those three. Oh, got it. I'm, I'm sorry. It's a little confusing the way. <coughs> These are additional playgrounds. Yes. Open space contingency. Okay, got it. Okay. I mean, it would be helpful to have a better understanding on how quickly the impact fees are coming in. Uh, so a lot of the central SOMA plan is on delay because of the economy and financing and some of the larger projects just haven't even gotten off the ground. So what I would hate to think is that we're gonna be borrowing from these from years to come and then we forego a lot of other projects. But I also understand. And does some of this have to do with, you know, original bond authorization was 30 million. This is the escalation and the, the project's almost doubled in cost. 
No, the project was always anticipated to use about 50-50 split between the um, bond dollars and central SOMA impact fees. Got the it. bond has, yeah, the project has not doubled in cost. We've actually, Got to it. adjust for escalation, we've, mod we've um, made some design modifications so that we can deliver the core elements of the project whilst no, that still makes keeping sense. it I under mean, budget. I'm, I'm budget. familiar with, because we've been deeply involved in the Crocker Amazon, and I know that that $15 million, I don't know if it's just purely bond, but the budget has risen significantly given the time and the cost escalations. Yeah. Um, and again, still, they're like, we're still having to give you value engineered as much as we can. Exactly. And that's so, so I only see 15 million here. I, I had my meeting with Director Ginsburg. I didn't get clarity, but actually my understanding is that the city side contribution has now risen to 20 million on the Crocker Amazon and the other matches from the San Francisco Giants. Um, yes, we are still working out the details of the project and the um, the funding and the sources. But I, my understanding was 19. But I so I'm nineteen. Uh, yeah, I oh, thought it was 19. Oh, <laughs> um, <laughs> so that's okay. what I've been working towards. But I imagine that the the 15, the other four would come from additional sources, not bond related. That is the anticipation. Got it. Okay. That perfect. Okay. Well, maybe we can maybe we can follow up. You can follow up and just let it, let the committee members know how quickly you anticipate the impact fees uh, to come in, because again, I'm very much in favor of the Gene Rec uh, project. I think it'll be phenomenal, um, but I also don't want to jeopardize some of these other projects that I know are important. And just and just one more question. I understand that. The third issuance <coughs> is dependent on the second issuance admin costs, but I'm wondering because we won't know exactly when we're getting these impact fees, should we be issuing more under these th three, or I guess the two categories where there's still some room um, under the second issuance, or does that We don't just... think so. We um, believe this is the funding that we need to move forward over the next three years. Um, we do anticipate coming back in a couple of years for the final bond issuance. Right, but given, I mean, I, given that we don't know when the central SOMA impact fees are going to issue, I'm just wondering yes, if but that provides a bit of insurance that the other projects will move forward. Well, we're, um, we only have so much capacity at, as our, at our staff level to be able to move projects forward, so this is really what we can handle in moving forward at this pace. Okay. I'm good. Good with that? Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, thank you. So um, I don't think we have any amendments on this item, so I can make a motion. And we have heard public comment on this, or we have not? Uh, we have not called I am public losing comment. track. Can we open up these items for public comment? Yes, Madam Chair, members of the public who wish to speak on this item or on these items and are joining us in person should line up now. Uh, for those listening remotely, please call 415-655-0001, enter the meeting ID have 2485-152-6945, then press pound twice. Once connected, press star three to enter the speaker line. How for those already in the queue, please continue to wait until the system indicates you have been unmuted and there'll be your signal to begin your comments. Seeing no in-person speakers here in the chamber, uh, Mr. Lamb, can you uh, unmute our caller, please? Can you hear me now? Yep. 
Great. Uh, David Pilpel, I uh, wanted to speak in support of these items uh, generally, but uh, most specifically about the port um, uh, seawall uh, series and segments. I think that's absolutely critical infrastructure uh, for the city. I think the port um, with various uh, staff people have done uh, great work in advancing uh, the program, and I think uh, this funding um, is needed and ready to be uh, programmed. Uh, no offense to uh, Rec Park or MOHCD, I've not scrutinized that stuff as uh, carefully, uh, but I absolutely um, want to be supportive of at least uh, the port uh, elements of these uh, four items, uh, resolutions and ordinance. Thanks for listening. Mr. Lamb, can you admit our next caller, please? Yes, thank you. I'm sorry. Is this um, item 13? Uh, Are not we yet. there yet? Uh, not yet, sir. If you press, thank you. yeah, if you press star three, you'll be back in the queue. And with that, Mr. Lamb, do we have any more colors? Madam Chair, that completes our queue. Public comment is now closed. I'd like to make a motion to send items nine through twelve to the full board with positive recommendation. On that motion to forward items 9 through 12 through the full board with a positive recommendation, Vice Chair Safai. Aye. Safai, aye. Member Chan? Aye. Chan, aye. Chair Ronan? Aye. Ronan, aye. We have three ayes. This motion is passed unanimously. Thank you, everyone. Mr. Clerk, can you please read item number 13? Yes, item number 13 is a hearing on the city and county of San Francisco's five-year budget projections and budget instructions to departments on behalf of Mayor London and Breed. Members of the public who are joining us remotely and wish to provide comment for this hearing, please call 415-655-0001, enter the meeting ID of 2485-1526945, then press pound and then pound again. Once connected to the meeting, press star three to enter the speaker line. The system probably indicated that you have raised your hand, and when the system indicates you have been unmuted, has your cue to begin your comments. Madam Chair. Thank you. Hi. Welcome. Or welcome to presenting. You've been here the whole time, Director Dunning. Um, good afternoon, Supervisors. Chair Ronan, in your last meeting as Budget Chair, and um, Supervisors Chan and Safai. So today I'm here to discuss the... Um, five-year financial plan, a report that our office and the mayor's office puts together with the controller's office along with the budget, budget and legislative analyst's office. Um, we do this exercise every year, um, and every two years we write an even longer plan where we forecast out five years of the city's budget, and specifically the general fund budget. That work then informs the mayor's budget instructions, which she delivers to, de she delivered to department heads in December, and now departments are busy at work proposing their budgets, which are due to our offices on February 21st. So I'm here today to just give you an overview of both the financial outlook that's detailed in the five-year financial report that was published, um, I believe, two weeks ago, as well as the budget instructions that came from the mayor's office. Um, and here with me today is Michelle Alerzma from the controller's office, who's going to speak more to the revenue projections in that report. Um, and I believe the clerk has a copy of our presentation. All right, great, so you can go to the first slide, um, or the, I don't have the ability to control this, is that right, I'll just say next slide. Okay, and you can go to the next slide. Okay, so just an overview of the presentation today. Um, the mayor's priorities re really remain unchanged and should be familiar to everyone by now, but we are in a very different financial situation than we've been in the past few years. And given that, we are instructing departments to make budget cuts. 
Next slide, please. Okay, so um, to talk a bit about the five-year financial outlook. Next slide. Okay, so here's the um, financial forecast over the next five years. We all, I'm sorry, um, over the next two years. So focusing on just the two-year budget um, that we will need to balance and then present to the Board of Supervisors by June 1st, we're looking at a $728 million def dollar deficit over the next two years. Um, and this chart shows where we've been just in the last few years, a lot of ups and downs on this chart. Um, the last time we had a deficit of this magnitude was when we were in the middle of the pandemic, and we were able to balance our budget then by making a number of responsible financial choices, but also because we had a huge influx of stimulus funding as well as FEMA that helped us overcome those really large gaps. Last year, on the other hand, we were projecting a surplus at this time. So if you can go to the next slide, I just want to highlight from the outset what changed from going from an um, economic outlook in which we were doing quite well as a city to a fairly large and growing deficit. Um, so first, it's really the revenue side. So we're having um, a much worse <laughs> revenue outlook than we have had previously, and we're also losing out on those federal revenues that we depended on these past few years to balance the budget. We also made um, wage agreements with most city employees last year and agreed to fairly substantial raises um, that continue to grow throughout the course of the threat projection. Meanwhile, other benefit costs continue to outpace inflation. We're also seeing increased pension costs, and in last year's budget, that was really the reason that we had, were projecting a surplus. Our pensions had done remarkably well given all the positive market activity um, during the pandemic, and now that the market has taken a turn, that means we're contributing more of our general fund to meet our pension contributions. Um, and finally, there's just a number of costs in this five-year projection that escalate over time, um, and many of those costs are things that we've newly funded just in the past couple of years. Next slide. So um, I'm going to spend more time on all of this, as is Michelle. This just goes over some of the assumptions that we make um, when we're putting together these numbers. So there's some assumptions we make on the revenue side as well as expenditure on the expenditure side. Um, on the expenditure side, we're incorporating a number of the 2022 election measures. So that's part of this forecast now. On salary and benefits, one of the largest costs in um, our city's general fund, we assume that wages grow by CPI in years when we have open contracts. Um, so we have open contracts right now with our police and fire unions. And then finally, there's a number of other citywide and departmental costs in here that escalate either by CPI when there's a reason to assume they may grow um, or according to other citywide financial planning tools like the 10-year capital plan. So you can go to the next slide. This is just kind of a highlight of um, at the top of the graph just shows you how our sources, our general fund revenues are changing from one year to the next. So the thing to look at here is in the next two years, we're actually projecting that they decline year over year and then just see modest growth in the final years of the plan. And then at the bottom of the chart, the really big numbers are all of the city's costs. You add those two numbers up and that's how you get a fairly large deficit um, that grows to over $1.2 billion by the last year of this plan. So I think for the next several slides, I'm going to turn it over to Michelle Alarzma for the, from the controller's office to speak more to the revenue projections. 
Um, thanks. As Ms. Dooning noted, uh, sorry, Michelle Ellersmuck, Controller's Office, um, one of the big changes in this forecast from our prior, prior forecast is just that we've, um, we've taken into account the structural changes in the local and national and global economies, um, and we've really reflected those in our forecasts. So that really includes um, an anticipation of continued high interest rates. We, we won't get back to free money. Um, that kind of the, the interest rates that we have now will continue throughout the, the period. Um, that employers and employees are getting closer and closer to agreeing on what the permanent kind of level of work from home is going to be. They've been far apart. Um, so we've made an assumption that um, they're getting closer on that. Um, and that we will have um, a high level of office vacancy um, going forward. Next slide. On the topic of office vacancies, this is a slide. Um, the red line here shows actual office vacancy levels in San Francisco from 1997, um, and then they're projected from 2022 forward. Um, and so you can see they, they sort of, they, looking backwards, they, they peak during the dot-com bust. They, there's another bump um, during the financial crisis, um, and then the steep rise that we're in right now, the last, the last peak here, um, are the, the revenue assumptions in this forecast assume um, one of these four scenarios that you see how the line breaks out into four different pieces. Um, the numbers in the report are assuming the most difficult to see line here, which is the late gray line right below the red one. <laughs> So the, um, the conservative forecast um, under which um, vacancies would peak at just under 29% um, in this calendar year, and then they would decline down to a, a little over 23%. Um, so historically high levels of vacancies, and, and we're currently um, above 25%, so we're saying it's going to go up a little bit more. Next slide. Um, this is a few of our key revenue sources. You can see on the bottom here, um, we have some good news, um, some sort of better than expected performance in hotel and sales tax, that space building that came out of the last fiscal year and that we're seeing now. And so we assume that that kind of like creates a higher level off of which we grow. Um, and so that's to the good, and the thing is that that is not enough to offset the weakness that we're projecting now in property transfer and business tax. Um, property tax uh, declines are really due to um, the risk that we see in office valuations. Um, a lot of that due to, so there's rising interest rates, there's the vacancy rates, we assume that um, rental rates and occupancy, all these things will come down. Um, these will affect the, the values of the buildings. Um, and that's reflected in what we think is the, the city's ultimately, however it happens, going to grant reductions in assessed values that would result in refunds um, to property owners. Um, and we also see some risk in residential value because if you, the office that you don't have to go to anymore, you also don't need the condo next door to the office that you don't go to, go to anymore. So that there is risk in the residential market as well. Um, transfer tax is, um, is performing very poorly in the current fiscal year. Um, it's, it's coming in pretty weak, so below projection, uh, below budget. Um, and we'll be bringing that to you in a six-month report shortly. But it is, in the current year, not doing um, very well. And it's, we understand that it, it, interest rates have made it much more expensive 
um, to finance a purchase, and um, there's just not, especially with um, especially with office, there's just a big gap between what owners want to sell for, what buyers want to pay, and they're just not agreeing, and transactions are not happening. Um, and business tax as well. This is again, we've really taken. Um, We've assumed now in these projections that we're going to have a much higher level of ongoing um, work from home um, than we had assumed previously. We assumed we would get back to kind of the, a, a historical norm, and now we're saying the world is different, and we expect higher levels of, 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 of telecommuting going forward. Um, next. This is just showing you that we picked that little gray line on the first vacancy chart. Um, so this is just um, the projected office vacancy rates that are sitting underneath the numbers in the report. So historically high levels of office vacancy um, peaking in the current calendar year, we think. Um, next slide. And this is just a look at the, um, the values specifically for um, condos, because those we see as being at pretty high risk, um, more so than like a detached single family home. Um, this is where the growth has been recently. It's been built, a lot of it has been built close to offices. And so this is um, just showing the, um, the value um, dip that we're baking into the revenue forecast. Um, next slide. Um, there's a lot to see on this chart, um, but I think the, the takeaways are um, that if you look at the where the, how high the top of the line is going forward. Um, general fund revenues are increasing over the forecast period, so they're not getting smaller. Um, the mix of them has changed in important ways um, since 2019, and that's what we're showing with the colors in the graph. The gray are um, uh, revenue sources that existed before fiscal year 19, and the colored ones are, are sources that are new to the city um, since that time, um, just showing that the revenue mix has changed. And without those new revenue sources coming in, we would, um, at the end of this forecast period, still be barely, barely at our pre-pandemic peak. Next slide. Um, just a note on the use of one-time sources to um, to balance our budgets, you can see that the, the peak use of um, reserves, fund balance, and federal um, aid and stimulus um, is was in fiscal year 22. Um, and so we're slowing down over time. Um, the first year of, you can see that the, the first budget year, which you'll be considering uh, shortly, um, will mark the last year when we expect to get um, FEMA reimbursement. They've been delayed, so we did the work before. We expect we'll get the work, the, some of the funds next year. Um, we'll also be um, using less in, uh, we'll be tapering off our use of reserves and fund balance as well. Um, and I, that's all I have on the economic overview. Back to Ms. Deeming. Thank you. So that's the revenue side of things. Um, and if you could return to the presentation, if you still have it up. 
Um, so then we match the revenue projections with our expenditure projections. So just a few details um, about why we're seeing so much expenditure growth. It's really not a new story here. Um, we're continuing to see salary and benefits exceed inflation, as well as there are other citywide operating and program costs that are part of this assumption and this projection. Uh, in the last budget, we made significant ongoing wage investments. I've mentioned health care costs very high and continue to grow. And then there are other major costs in this report too outside of our personnel costs. Um, so there's a new baseline in here. We're assuming that we fully fund the soon to be published capital plan, which tries to get our capital funding back to pre-pandemic levels. And then um, a number of other large human services costs, housing subsidy programs, and finally um, increased pension costs from our prior projection. If you go to the next slide, this just shows where we thought our pension costs would be last year at this time, um, and that's the light blue line. So they are coming down because of all how well our pension system has performed over the last few years, and now because of the market last year um, not doing quite as well as we thought they would. So that's another cost that's assumed in this report. Go to the next slide. Um, and then finally, these are just the things that are not assumed in this report, um, but there are very real risks this year. Um, obviously, the pace of downtown recovery and what happens with office vacancies, something we're all closely tracking. The continued impacts of both high inflation, which make the cost of doing business in the city very expensive, but also high interest rates, which, as Michelle mentioned, is creating less activity um, in our housing and real estate market. Continued cutbacks in the tech sector, which we've all been following and probably heard about. So what is the ripple effect on our local economy? Still something we're tracking. The state budget is also in a huge deficit, over $24 billion. Um, the governor talked about his budget, I think, just a couple weeks ago. He did not give us any indication that he was going to pull back ERAF as a way to help balance the state budget, but we do think if the state is ever going to do it, now would be the year to do that, and that's worth over $300 million in revenue. And then finally, the risk of a recession. A lot of economists think that the um, country could hit a recession at some point in this calendar year, um, but when and how big and what the local impact would be is to be determined. So given all that, um, I think moving on to the final part of this, which is just the mayor's budget instructions. You can go to the next slide. The mayor's priorities remain recovery of the local economy with a focus on downtown as sort of the economic core, the economic engine of this city and of all the revenues um, that support all of our city services and operations. Continuing to make improvements in public safety and street conditions, addressing the crises of homelessness and mental health, and then finally, accountability and equity in how we spend money and deliver our services. And so we are asking departments, if you want to go to the next slide, um, to make reductions in how much general fund they receive of, um, next slide please. I think that's the next slide. Um, about 5% of their general fund budgets in the first year and then growing to 8% in the second year. And then additional instructions that the mayor has given to departments, if you'll go to the next slide, um, include prioritizing or reclassifying vacancies um, to fill core departmental functions or mayoral priorities. And what we mean by that is the city has a very large vacancy rate right now. And so one way to balance this budget would just to have a hiring freeze. But we know that's not tenable at this time. We know we need 
key city workers um, in key city functions. So we're asking departments to tell us what is the right balance between what's funded and what's filled and help us figure out what that balance is. I think it's going to be a, a hard exercise, but something that our office will be looking at carefully in the coming months. Um, and then to propose remaining vacancies as potential budget savings. We're asking departments to try to maintain mayoral initiatives related to her priorities, but we're need, going to need to fund those at less cost. And then finally, we are telling departments, and I am telling everyone else in the city, um, that things could get worse. If some of those risks that I mentioned on the previous slide come to fruition, if we hit a recession, um, if office vacancy rates get worse, all these numbers could take a turn. So we may have to go back to departments for more. And next slide. These are just some reminders about the budget process this year. There's no May 1st budget. All budgets will be here in June. As always, non-general fund departments or departments with non-general fund funds must balance within their own um, sources and uses. And I think that's about it. The last slides are just some reminders about upcoming dates um, in the budget process. And I'm happy to answer questions. Thank you. Do you have any questions? <laughs> I, I know you all have already seen this. We've been talking about this a lot, so don't necessarily yes, expect questions you. today, but looking forward to working with thank both of you on, on figuring out how to balance this year's budget. I think there are a lot of difficult choices ahead. Absolutely, and thank you for going over this with us pre this meeting and with the public. It's, you know, it's not the news we want to hear, but it's the news we know we're dealing with. So thank you so much for that. Uh, we will open this item up for a public comment. Thank you, Madam Chair. Members of the public who wish to speak on this item and are joining us in person should line up now. For those listening remotely, please call 415-655-0001 with the meeting ID of 2485-1526945, then pound and pound again. Once connected, press star 3 to enter the speaker line. For those already in the queue, please continue to wait until the system indicates you have been unmuted and there will be your signal to begin your comments. Seeing no in-person speakers here in the chamber, uh, Mr. Lamb, can you unmute or call her, please? Hello, caller, we could hear you. So first and foremost, this is the ninth or tenth person representing the mayor uh, trying to give us some sort of a presentation. This mayor uh, has failed uh, the citizens of San Francisco, failed the citizens of San Francisco. Our budget and finance committee has been hoodwinking us. And uh, our priorities, of course, should be addressing homelessness and uh, the drug problem, which goes under wellness. Thousands of people dying. Middle-class families slipping on the streets of San Francisco while the mayor makes a salary of 500000 so all these people who make above 250000 they should take a pay cut. It's a shame. The 
that even during the stimulus or the pandemic and we had the stimulus funds, we wasted millions of dollars. Why don't we have a hearing? And at this hearing, we should do a needs assessment of every year that this mayor was a mayor. And what are our achievements? And why do we have a turnover where we have the ninth person now telling us Speaker's about the time has expired. We do apologize for cutting anybody off, but we are timing each speaker at two minutes. Uh, Mr. Lame, can you uh, unmute our next caller, please? Great. David Pilpel again. Um, so, uh, four points. I am concerned about the delay to income tax uh, deadlines that was pushed back from April 18th to May 15th uh, for most of the state. Um, I believe that's going to have uh, an impact on the state budget projections and how State Department of Finance does the May revise, uh, and that could impact um, how uh, state funds flow through to the city. Um, next, I support realistic vacancy management, hiring, and attrition savings. Um, you already heard a bit about that, but I think getting that right is going to take a lot of fine-tuning. Um, I think we should also address centralized versus decentralized uh, services in each department and citywide. I could give examples. Uh, classification creep, what used to be an 1820, became a 22, became a 23, became a 24, became a 25, et cetera, uh, and investments in uh, capital projects and the ICT plan um, and those projects that actually reduce operating costs both to general fund and non-general fund uh, departments. Uh, next, if uh, staff could please ensure that the department budget meetings website, which is now at sf.gov slash node slash 7853, is kept up to date with the meetings in the next uh, few weeks and, in fact, the next months for the second round. That would be um, fantastic. And finally, uh, I absolutely agree. There are definitely difficult decisions ahead uh, with pressure likely from uh, advocates uh, the labor unions and nonprofits, probably others too, but um, this is not going to be an easy budget season. So thanks for listening. Mr. Lamb, next speaker, please. Uh, hello, supervisors. My name is Brent Turner. I'm calling to make a point regarding the uh, budget cuts and how it relates to the elections department. Um, just for the record, we have been advocating for public systems within the department, and now there is a public system available uh, to the department, which would create great cost savings, especially over term of years. I think we've been dealing with one sole source vendor that has been price gouging uh, the department and the county. So if we uh, went toward a uh, nonprofit that uh, was utilizing open source software technology for elections, that would uh, create a budget windfall for the department, and I think that would be prudent. So um, I, I think it adds up. I haven't crunched the numbers, but the 5% up to the 80% um, would be recouped. And uh, thank you for listening. Thank you so much, Brent Turner, for your comments. And Madam Chair, that completes our queue. Thank you. Um 
public comment is now closed. I would like to make a motion to uh, declare heard and file this hearing. On that motion, that this hearing be heard and filed, Vice Chair Safai. Safai, aye. Member Chan. Aye. Chan, aye. Chair Ronan. Aye. Ronan, aye. We have three ayes. That motion passes unanimously. Thank you. And last but not least, can you please read item number 14? Yes, item number 14 is a hearing to consider the annual review and adoption of the proposed draft fiscal years 2023 to 2024 and 2024 to 2025 budgets for the Board of Supervisors and Office of the Clerk of the Board. Uh, members of the public who are joining us remotely and wish to provide comment for this hearing, please call 415-655-0001, enter the meeting ID of 2485-1526945, then press pound twice. Once connected, you will need to press star three to enter the speaker line. A system prompt will indicate you have raised your hand, and when the system indicates you have been unmuted, it will be your signal to begin your comments. Madam Chair. Thank you. Welcome. Um, um, Clerk Calvillo. Sorry. Thank you, Madam Tyler. Chair, members of the committee. <laughs> Angela Calvillo, Clerk of the Board. And I'm here today with Dr. De Asis. Uh, Dr. De Asis does uh, maintain our data, and he maintains the, the prudent spending in our department. Uh, today's hearing is just a continuation of our hearing from two weeks ago. I have worked with um, more members on our department's budget and um, wanted to continue to uh, gain your um, answer, any questions that you have and the understanding of some of the requests that we have. Um, I will turn to slide one. This slide is the summary of our proposed budget. And for Mr. Pilpel, it, is, it has been, I believe, posted on our website. Uh, um, so the number one item is still the placeholder for our legislative management system. You are aware that we will be going to Coit for that funding. However, for the mayor's office and the controller's office, we, do, we will be implementing an amount in the system as a placeholder with the expectation that come June, if Coit funds this, we would be removing that amount from the budget. Um, and uh, additionally, the department will be self-funding about $400,000 in hardware uh, and software maintenance costs. Uh, so um, line two is a morale budget. We've, we are reading all of the controller's audits, and we do see that departments are, um, if they are expecting to do any morale and employee merit, um, they, that they should actually have a line item in their budget. So that's what that will do for us in the amount of 7,000. That's a very scant amount. Uh, and then the next couple of items are FTE conversions, and I'll just briefly touch on them. The third line talks of the conversion of a junior management assistant in AAB. Obviously, we know from the 08 downturn that the the, down, the market really kicks in in year three, and so we are expecting to hire an employee there, and it's, we currently have a position. It is um, temporary, and we'd like to make that permanent for a couple of years. Um, <clears throat> the fourth line does talk about a transfer of function from the assessor recorder's office. It's a 1063, which he has indicated to us he would like to eliminate from his budget including the funding, and we would like to pick that position up. Uh, it is someone who knows the system in his office. We would like 
uh, that position, actually, to work on the SMART system in the assessor's office and to assist our assessment appeals board, the two systems to talk to each other. In addition to the coming year's requirements that the, um, that the Board of Equalization is asking us to make changes to our system to update it. Line four talks about, excuse me, line five, does, uh, does provide uh, a 1244, a promotion, due to the span of control to align the duties and to right-size that position with the span of control that it has with our employees and our commissioners and the onboarding that we're doing and offboarding with a lot of temps um, to the right-size uh, analyst. And then moving on to line six, this is another critical position for us regardless uh, of the, our remote system. We will, the, the board will consider the remote system and what to do with it. Um, this 1094 will continue to manage the remote call-in system. Um, if there is an ADA, ADA pathway, the um, requirements that we have a telephonic service and live webcasting. And line ses seven, expands language access for us in the amount of $25,000. Those are the total requests from the Office of the Clerk of the Board. Um, it's an amount of $270,000. Uh, and the remaining requests comprise of the BLA COLA and the LAFCO requests, which you can see there on the slide. Um, the COLA is, um, I believe, $142,000. And uh, let's see get my, I, I buried my amount there, my apologies, here we go. Yes, the COLA is 142,000 and the substitution for the temp policy analyst to PCS is 23,000. And then the, the interesting news is, is that LAFCO does set its own budget uh, in, in a couple of months and they will let us know what amount is that they're requesting. Um, oftentimes they are very careful as they're setting that amount and sometimes give us some good news and we will report the difference to you in June um, what that difference will be. That does conclude my presentation. I am available for any questions um, from the committee. Look forward to your approval if possible. Thank you. Any questions? Nope. No questions, so we'll okay. open this item up for public comment. Yes, Madam Chair, members of the public who wish to speak on this item and are joining us in person should line up now. For those listening remotely, please call 415-655-0001. Enter the meeting ID of 2485-152-6945, then press pound twice. You'll need to press star three to enter the speaker line. And for those already in the queue, please continue to wait until the system indicates you have been unmuted, and that'll be your signal to begin your comments. Seeing no in-person speakers here in the chamber, Mr. Lamb, uh, kindly unmute or call her, please. Great. David Pilpel again. Um, so to the clerk, yes, the presentation is posted in uh, Legistar. That happened during this meeting. I picked it up about two hours ago. That's a great example of using Legistar to post documents that day of the meeting, during a meeting, to inform public comment. It absolutely works, and the clerk's office and this Board of Supervisors is absolutely a shining star for other boards and commissions in the city and elsewhere in the state for how to do it and how to do it right. So I absolutely support funding for continuing hybrid public meetings both at 
uh, this board, its committees, and other city policy bodies. There was a recent detailed memo from uh, the city attorney's office um, on that topic, but one of its recommendations that's buried in there is that if the board wants to make that citywide policy, that the board can do that by uh, ordinance to require continued hybrid public meetings, and I support uh, doing so, but I also support the board having the resources to continue to do that at full board and committee meetings. I support the clerk's proposed budget. It is absolutely amazing that so much happens um, at the clerk of the board's office with so few staff. People might think that there are tens or hundreds of people behind the scenes making this happen, and in fact, it is far, far fewer than that. Um, a small number of very dedicated and very competent staff uh, make this uh, board work and make the uh, 11 uh, electeds uh, look great all the time. So I worry a lot about losing any of those highly competent clerk of the board uh, staff, and I support the 7,000 that's in here and any other initiatives to uh, make employee retention in the clerk's office the priority that it well should be. Speaker Thanks for listening. Thank you, Mr. Lamb. Do we have any more speakers in the queue? Uh, I support uh, the clock having um, the the best uh, high-speed internet and a digital platform. I'm concerned uh, at times when you use the uh, Board of Supervisors, the BOS email, uh, it bounces. We need to know why. Why are certain emails blocked? There should be some transparency. The clerk of the board does uh, a great service to the public. And I would encourage the clerk of the board that you distribute the press releases that you get from the Moakwaoloni to all the departments, because it's kind of a shame that even though the Moakwaoloni are the first people of San Francisco, I'll make a mockery by making some statement of acknowledgement at the beginning. I don't know what the city attorney is doing uh, regarding this. If y'all cannot respect the first people of San Francisco that's mentioned in our general management plan, shame on you. There's all sorts of Mickey Mouse happening in the city when it comes to the indigenous people. Basically, the some board of supervisors and the mayor dividing and creating divisiveness among. Thank you, Francisco da Costa, for your comments. Uh, Mr. Lamb, was that our last speaker? Uh, Madam Chair, we have no more speakers in the queue. 
Public comment is now closed. And I just have a little confusion about the motion to make here. Could you help me? <laughs> uh, is, is this just heard and filed? Or do we oh, do approve you, I, this? I would appreciate it if you just took a vote to move this proposed budget forward so that we can submit it to the mayor and the controller. Okay, so it doesn't go to the board for approval. No, no. But what, what you could also do is you could continue this for two weeks and as the chair of the committee, you could have time no, to talk about it. I think we with the budget. We just are confused what motion we're supposed to make. Oh. I, it, review and uh, adopt of the proposal draft. So it, it, it's a hearing and an action item. I was going to say my recollection is that in the past it has been filed as a hearing and the committee has generally expressed its approval for the plan um, so that the clerk can send it forward. Got it. So we would like to express our approval for the plan and then file the hearing. Uh, yeah, okay, yes. Uh, on that motion that this hearing be heard and filed. Uh, Vice Chair Safai. Safai, aye. Member Chan. Chan, aye. Chair Ronan. Aye. Ronan, aye. We have three ayes. Thank you. That, that expression and motion passed yes. unanimously. Yes, thank you, Madam Chair. And then we will return to you in June with the actual budget for the committee's full approval at that time. Okay by this whole thing, but I think we got it right. So thank you so much. Mr. Clerk, is there any other items before us today? Uh, Madam Chair, that concludes your business. The meeting is adjourned.